I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Have you gone through All that right, ladies period? and gentlemen, we are live. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, hey, hello. Hello, Daniel. So back to your I underwear. Like, yeah, I feel like so talking about, yeah, we're talking about, about like, underwear. Swooping yeah, we talking about and underwear. what your clothing goes through yeah. when you swoop. <laughs> we're at, like, it started with just underwear, but then we brought swooping back in. Just but do you ever time, get so a wedgie on topic, when you baby? I have I never had that experience. Oh, I'm happy I never had that sort of wardrobe malfunction. No, no wedgies while no swooping. No wedgies. No. I Man. feel like would you even notice in that in that moment? Like, yeah, you, you would. would. You would. Like because it's when you land, right? So the oh, okay. next thing you realize is like, oh, this hurt. Like, yeah. That was sick, but I got yeah. a bunch of underwear in my butt right yeah, now. Yeah, now you totally <laughs> would. Yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah. There's no way you. Don't. I, I, especially if you're wet from the pond and stuff, and it starts to like cling. Yeah, but. You don't get your underwear wet that often. Yeah. Luckily. Well, know. I mean, I pee a lot. That's <laughs> okay. that, yeah. that's on tiny, exit though. Tiny, tiny bladder. <laughs> it's not tiny. There, it's pretty large, and there's a lot of wet. <laughs> it's pretty large, and there's a lot of wet. Wait <laughs> a second. Uh, so, Danya, what's up? Oh, nothing. Um, actually, can I have your password for your Facebook? No. Tell, um, it, tell it to the people. Yeah. Tell it My to password the to Facebook is. <laughs> can I have that real quick? No, no. In a, in a minute. So, Danielle Tancredi. Yes, in a minute. But let me do that. I'm not. I'm gonna type it. Danielle, uh, our guest tonight on the show. A uh, little bit about you, and then we'll get into just talking shit mm, uh sure. first of all you are italian that is true which is rare because i call you frenchy mm-hmm. i yes. thought you're impressed despite popular opinion and it's not very popular just your opinion no not just mine because you're the one who told yes. me people call it's you frenchy yes. okay um you are italian you are mm-hmm. a canopy pilot you Correct. love to swoop you love to go fast yes recently a canopy coach and you're a nerd yes. who works at nasa those are correct information these are a lot of words i want to talk about tonight yeah but i really want to start with a canopy piloting thing and we we uh a little disclosure the three of us hung out together last night so we've already had some of this conversation uh but dude i want to talk about nationals i want to talk about cp i want to talk about that fucking race between nick and kurt the two best in the fucking world It was fucking phenomenal. Talk about that for one second while I type passwords. Yeah, the okay, way the way that you described the the story leading up to the the two titans clashing yeah. in nationals, like that's documentary worthy. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you very familiar with the history, or was it pretty much just DJ's recap that uh, that got you up to speed with? The no, no, I'm familiar with what happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for people that are interested in that, my baby, maybe they don't know, they haven't followed because canopy piloting is really something you are into it if you're into it or if yeah, not you're not just gonna stumble upon it on the news right for sure um but um so um nick batch right uh, six-time world champions uh, a couple of years ago and um, my coach and mentor too for the last couple of years a couple of years ago i think it was two years ago he had a pretty major accident this is no secret he talked about it so i feel comfortable saying it. he had a major mm. accident yeah. he broke his leg and so he was grounded f- for a long time he had to go through you know rehab and he's been doing fine but really he hasn't been 
flying, skydiving, or swooping until a couple of months ago, maybe or maybe less. That I don't, I'm not. He's not, been training a month and a half. Yeah. He's been skydiving again for about three months. Yeah. So like Which is very not recently, that much time. and he no. came back. He hasn't done any competition. This was his first competition in several years. This was his first like real skydive since the accident. Yeah. He came back and he went to nationals. Right and. And we, uh, Nick, uh, Nick and I have been talking about it, and I was like, yeah, it would be great if I come back and I'm still there. But he, like everybody else, he was questioning if he would have yeah. been able to pull it off or not. And For sure. Normal, right? Yeah, after how, how many years? Two years. Yeah, yeah. more than Almost years. three years. Yeah, it's a yeah. super long time. Which to for an athlete, a competitive athlete, it's a long, long time. It's not like... Yeah. When you're you know doing it for fun and you take a break and you come back and you're still doing it for fun, it's no big deal. But like you know, Michael Jordan has been going away from basket and then he came back for a couple of years and it was a, still a, the the best in the world, right? Yeah. But Michael Jordan's comeback uh, remained in history because he's one of the few that pulled it off at that level, right? Not yeah. many people can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was a little bit like uh, to me that Nick Batch come come back he came back his first competition and he won that's almost like a michael jordan it's moment to me right like yeah that, like it's it's, so it's pretty epic. insane it's epic and uh, so he went to nationals and he's been uh, he probably he's been in the top three since the very first you know round of nationals they started with zonak and i think he was in the first top two or top three and he's been like within a couple of points of Kurt Bartholomew throughout the whole competition, and you know Kurt Bartholomew being like, you know, they've been competing against each other forever, mm-hmm. and they ended up like he won by two points, which to put it in perspective, it was seven hundred eighty points versus seven hundred eighty-six points. So mm-hmm. like two points is nothing. Yeah, I think that I think, think it was a small. little bit more than two points. It was two points at the last round. Oh, okay. So the last round, uh, with one round to go, he was two points ahead. Okay. Um, basically, it was distance, and Nick had to yeah. la- had to go one meter shorter or better than mm-hmm. Kurt. So if Kurt laid down 100 meters, Nick had to lay down 99 or better. Mm-hmm. And Nick actually laid down a little bit better run. Okay. Um, Rich O'Healy, Rich O'Butts, uh, actually yep. be on the show in two weeks, was in first place uh, for a little while. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, up till distance. Up until distance, yeah. yeah. Really? Now, he's unofficial because he's an Aussie by... So he uh, was, a did, uh, was that good, Aussie? Yeah, right, probably. Yeah, can, he's can, like light Aussie, though. I've heard his, his accent. It's like pretty light. Yeah, he's right. been in San Fran too long. Yeah, probably it sort of gets watered down after a little bit. Yeah, which is weird because I thought, and I'm 99% sure you can do that because I did it. You can compete... Uh, even if you're not a citizen, you can compete in national as a uh, U.S. person if you're a, mm. you have like a green card or something. Uh, so there are all these weird things about it. It's more um, than a green card for the U.S. Every every country has a different standard and a different okay. status. There, I mean, there are countries that like, yo, bro, I want to be a Lithuanian swooper, so I'll come compete. At your, I don't mm. know if Lithuania is that. No, nah, right, yeah, but. sure, but. Those those exist, and I can't remember the exact status. I wish I I, I wish I could remember of it right now or think of it right yeah, now. I have but to look into that. Yeah, I want to say you have to hold citizenship or permanent residency. Okay, something like that. Yeah. I just a green card doesn't work. Um, well, a green card is a permanent residency. So is it? So yeah, there's yeah, there's I, some version. I, see, uh, yeah, I forget uh, what it was. I remember I've are, had. Yeah, there were some. Yeah, that's why, uh, oh, what's her name? Maxine Tate hasn't competed in ah. the U.S. as an official mm-hmm. U.S. citizen until recently, and she became a U.S. citizen, and suddenly she started yep. competing no longer as a guest, but mm-hmm. as a U.S. But citizen. A, okay, yeah. Um, I don't that's know. I think she might hold dual citizenship. 
I don't know if she I does or not. No yeah. I mean, if, if I had the chance to hold dual no. citizenship to my mother country and the country I moved to, I'd do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I probably sure. will. Uh, I will have the chance to do that soon, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. So no, we're voting against you. <laughs> is, <laughs> it, is it something that you vote on? I don't imagine. We do. Oh, really? The next yeah. election, we get to vote on Danielle's citizenship. Yes, it's going to be the big it's, theme it's of the, the election. It's the big thing on the right? ballot. Yeah, yeah. It's not about <laughs> immigration. It's immigration of Danielle. It's just, like it's just a picture of your face, and it's a yes, yeah, no like, box, no mm-hmm. context, just Danielle's yes, face, no. yes, no. <laughs> okay, I mean, no, you got my vote so far. Okay, cool. Well... <laughs> 299 millions or whatever more to go, right? No. Yeah, but uh, you're you're one closer with me. We're getting there inch by inch. Yeah. Oh, yeah but you, you brought up a point earlier that I meant to ask you about. And sure. You compared uh, Nick Batch's comeback to, to Michael Jordan's. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it takes someone who is already at that level to take that long of a break and then come back and still be on top of their game? Or do you think... 100%. Like, you, okay, so you would say yes to that. Yeah, so I was actually thinking about that as I was driving here, right? Because I was just yeah. actually testing with Nick Batch today and then coming here, and I'm like, yeah, he could do that because at his skill level, it was something that it was already like interiorized, something like uh, it's not some like skydiving is not like riding a bike. We all know if we don't apply the skill set, it's a perishable skill set. We lose it to, to an extent. Some other people more, people do more, less. I don't know. Yeah. But we all lose it. Yeah. But I think when it's at that point to, to, to someone like that, uh, it becomes interior. As it probably felt very rusty the first five jumps, but it just comes back really quick. But it, yeah. It's like, I don't know, think of it like, if you start driving and then you stop driving after you, uh, you had your license for like six months and you don't drive for yeah. five years, you probably are just as like it's like you never drove. Yeah. But now I've been driving for 20 years. I'm thinking if I don't drive for five years and then I start driving, it will take me like 10 minutes. You'll be like, yeah, oh, sort okay, of to yeah, restart whatever. That old, that old engine, maybe uh, shake the rust off mm, a little bit, but then but you're kind of back to business. With skydiving, one way to look at it, uh, and DJ probably knows, someone said if you want to be good at it, you need to do it 10,000 times before you're can consider mm. yourself an expert at it something like something like mastery mastery, mastery takes mastery, 10,000 yeah. reps or hours and, and with skydiving we really don't get to do it 10 times most of us don't yeah. get to do it 10,000 times um, mm-hmm. even like I think Nick Bosch doesn't have 10,000 jumps but even more so for people that are not even near that level of experience they never get to make that something they interiorize yeah that's a good point do you think because he was continuing coaching throughout his injury yeah. right do you think yeah. that has any that played any role in his uh, his currency, for lack of a better term, because he's still in the sport. He's still teaching it. Maybe he's not doing it himself, but those those parts of his brain are still getting uh, used. Bit, it's probably better than if he got into crocheting. <laughs> but I, I yeah, think probably. like just the fact that he saw me swooping so much in the last couple of years made him worse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I I kind of want to shift the conversation or the question straight to Danielli. Uh, one of Danielli's recent roles is he became a coach with a rating center. Yeah. And a good canopy pilot to start with, but we've talked about it since you've become a coach, and you've only been coaching the basics, the fundamentals. Yeah. You haven't even been coaching high-performance stuff. Your high-performance stuff has gotten better because mm-hmm. of your coaching skills. Yeah. You just mocked yourself saying, Nick Batch has watched me a lot, which he has. He's coached you a lot, so he's probably worse than what he was, but you've watched a lot of stuff that's worse than what you do. That's absolutely by far a regression to what you do, but yet you've become a better pilot. That is true, yeah. So, I mean, that was a joke. It was uh, a joke, but do you think, and and really not do you think, I think you would agree, why do you think it helps somebody retain some level of skill 
or increase some level of skill by coaching? You know, if you believe in all like when you when we do something, we activate certain areas of our brain, right? And people can do an MRI and see, oh, like you can use your this part of the brain when you do that. And that. maybe the fact that you're coaching, you're not actively swooping, but maybe you're still activating the same parts of your brain because yep. you're seeing a person, you're debugging this process, That's and definitely. maybe you're using the same skill set you would use yeah i think i think seeing something from that outside perspective too you're not the one doing it and you're not even watching video of yourself Mm -hmm. you're now the one who's videoing someone else from the outside for me at least when i see it from that different perspective it adds um it it creates a different angle that i'm looking at the problem and and you can see things that maybe you wouldn't have seen from from the inside have you had that experience with canopy coaching for sure yeah um one of the biggest thing when you do canopy coaching, it changes perspective. Like yeah. even without before the coach tells you something, you look at yourself from the outside. Mm-hmm. Which as skydivers, well, as skydivers we get to do a little bit more often in free fall, but when we land, we really almost never get to do that. Yeah. So it does change perspective completely. Like and mm-hmm. some things that we feel we don't see, something that we we cannot feel we actually see, and we're like, oh, I want to. I don't know. Let me try again. And yeah. you figure it out. Yeah, most definitely. Man, you just gave me a flashback to my first canopy course, what you were saying. Mm-hmm. You're not used to seeing your landings. And then that was like one of the first times I had my landings filmed. And I remember thinking in my head, man, I'm doing great. I'm going so <laughs> fast. <laughs> I'm killing it. And then I watched my video come in. and it's just, You're like, how cute. Yeah, but it's cool to add that perspective because it's like, oh, that's what I look like compared to these other people who are doing these other things. Maybe how do I get to that next step? Uh, that feeling never goes away. Like yeah. Even when I did coaching with Nick, the, uh, you know, I remember landing. I'm thinking, oh, my God, that was such a good soup. I was so close, so fast, so tight. Yeah. And I look at the soup and <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. I guess that was better, but still, you know. Yeah, for so sure. That feeling never quite goes away. How do you let that affect your mindset? Like, if something feels really good but it doesn't look great, are you still pumped about it afterwards and now you just want to correct it and make it better? Or do you sort of see it and now you get less excited because it wasn't as maybe as cool uh, as you thought it was? No, on the moment, I don't let that affect me too much, I think, uh, one way or the other. I mean, I think it's. It's good to find an, an in-between where you, you're not going to get excited about things that are not great because otherwise you don't push yourself to improve. Yeah. But at the same time, um, as some people say, some of my mentors have said to me before, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So yeah. you also shouldn't let the fact that it doesn't look great discourage you because yeah. you're still doing something that very few people can do and very few people yeah most decide definitely. to do so yeah for sure and um, it's interesting seeing different mentalities and, and different inspirations for people to continue going in the sport especially when you get to a higher level of things where maybe mm-hmm. you've been doing it for a long time and you've gone through the ups and downs and that whole process of man i learned something and that feels awesome but now i have this entire entirely new mountain to climb you know and that skill set yeah. just keeps progressing uh, yeah and it's funny because as dj said like a couple of minutes ago um Personally, I just went through a pretty long and pretty annoying, uh, I want to say, sort of plateau 
Mm-hmm. Um, which that part got me down a little bit as far as skydiving is concerned. Like no, it kept you up above the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Way above the water. Uh, someone said we should just build a pond that is like five feet higher than the actual bu- pond. Oh, dude, you build a pond that like is remote controllable so your <laughs> friend's just... <laughs> like he yeah. looks like he's about 10 feet high and All you right, just bump it up 10 feet. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're swooping at like 17,000 miles an hour because that's how fast you have to go to maintain orbit that high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With respect to the sun, it's yeah, like a, it's like an like ego that. regulated pond. It just always makes you feel good, no mm-hmm. matter what turn you yeah. do. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so I, I went through this plateau for several months, and then, as DJ said, maybe after I start coaching, I had to force myself to rethink of the basics and yeah. apply those basics again. And yeah, I, I finally in the last DJ, would you say like three, four, five months? Maybe I finally felt like I was doing making progress again, and they nice. broke the plateau. And now I'm actually really happy with what I'm doing and the way I'm doing it. Okay. It's been a bit longer than that. Yeah. yeah. What? No, I th- I think it's been a bit longer than that. I think it's uh the last three or four months of canopy have been super busy for you. Mm. Uh, in the last few months, you've gone full time. I say full time. You've gone to full blown canopy courses. You've been doing a mm-hmm. lot more of that. You've been taking on little side coaching, learning to do other coaching, including some seminars. I think it's happened before that. Uh, one of the things that we go back to just quick in my mind is the, the mindset of being a good coach. It's For me, I, I'm, I'm much better at what I do typically when I coach it, and it's because canopy piloting has always been very natural for me. The first time I was told to do a lazy boy, I was like, a good buddy's like, this is what you do. And I laid it all the way fucking back and mm-hmm. all the way back up. And it's because I did exactly what he said to do. He's like, dude, you've never done one. I'm like, bro, it's, I just did what you told I me to do. I just did. Yeah. Um, and not everything goes that perfect the first time. Right. That was just one of those lucky ones. But canopy piloting is very natural for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think about the mechanics a lot. But when I have to break down the mechanics, even at the most fundamental level, hey, when you flare to a new jumper, you need to lean forward to get those hands down to do this, that, or the other thing. That applies to the high-end swooper for certain reasons and points in a mm-hmm. different perspective or a different context. But now I start thinking about it, breaking it down, and said and done the physics of what's happening to the person with a 1.0 wing loading versus a 2.0 wing loading is essentially the same at the fundamentals. So now I've thought it down better. I've broke it down better. So my mind's in tune more. So when I make those transitions, when I make those moves, I do them with much more intent and not just innate ability. And and Mm -hmm. so in Nick's case, I think, yes, I agree wholeheartedly with you. The best tend to stay the best because I am not going to take away from Nick, Kurt, or Michael Jordan's Fucking natural raw talent. All Kurt Bartholomew, Nick Batch, uh, they're all raw talented people. Or excuse me, hardworking people. I'm not going to take away from their hard work, their hard effort. They are dedicated motherfuckers. They grind. But they also are just badass at what they do. So yes, Nick stayed on top or came back on top because he's that awesome. But I do agree with you that coaching, man, it... Keeps, uh, keeps you current. It keeps him current. It keeps him thinking through the processes. He probably had a more thought-out turn than he's ever had before. I know uh, when I was still flying my VK regularly, I would think my turns would be very uh, fluid, very smooth, but I was able to break down all the mechanics of it mid-turn because my intimacy with the mechanics of the turn were so good that I could break down what I was doing while I was doing it. That's pretty cool. And know how I could or couldn't fix it, which usually was all related to yeah. I suck. <laughs> so. yeah, 
it's funny because I'm the exact opposite uh, of you. So my dad, since I was like a little kid, used to make the joke: "You should work for the Bureau of Complication of Simple Affairs." <laughs> so I, I like that. I've never uh, heard I'm, it. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's something my dad used to say. I don't know if it's an Italian thing or if it's just something my dad picked up in yeah. the army. And he's like, "Yeah, the Bureau of Complication of Simple Affairs." Is like yeah. I, I am a person that tends to overcomplicate everything and overthink everything. Yeah. Um, yes. And part of it. <laughs> Part of it, I don't do it on purpose. Part of it, you know how some people are just, they pick up tasks and things really fast, especially if it's like hands. They're just, uh, I tend to be a little more on the clumsy side with physical activities. I just mm. don't learn things <laughs> he hit quick. the mic as he said that. <laughs> and I hit the mic. I thought that's I what that. I heard. The yeah. mic stand flies I, across the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just struggle <laughs> to learn those things. I'm slow. I take my time. But then I'm also one of those people that once I learn something, I typically really realize i learned it like i'm like okay cool mm-hmm. i i know this now like i'm 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 i feel like i know it yeah. but it takes me a long time you have that solid like thorough understanding of something before you yeah. can or you have to have that understanding before you can really paint the picture mm-hmm. mentally yeah, i'm not one of those people that goes and tries and the first time oh mm-hmm. wow that was a man now i'm gonna suck the first time and the second and yeah so it's, it's interesting seeing those two different schools of thought or, or schools of learning or however you want to word it some people who are very intuitive and just kind of feel things out and then maybe can't explain how they mm-hmm. did the thing they did. They just went and, and, yeah. and did it. And then there are other people who are very analytical mm-hmm. and maybe it takes them a little bit longer, but then they eventually get it. Do you, either of you have an opinion on that? Which one is, is better or worse? Do you think it's better to take your time a little bit more and kind of hash out those details and know what it's like to suck at it and then get it and now you really, really have it? Teach Whereas the other own. person is just kind of yeah, hucking, not hucking it, but just they don't go through that same process. I mean, it's almost pointless to say which one is better because it's not like you get to choose which one you are. That's right? also a very so good point. You just have to deal with what you're you just given. You've got to deal with what you've got. I'm made do this way. I'm 37 years old. I'm not yeah. going to change the way I learn things now. I'm just yeah. going to do my best to keep learning new things. Yeah. But you seem to enjoy the process, though, because you've stuck around and you seem to be really enjoying yourself as you're doing it. Yeah, I do. But skydiving and swooping in particular, it's probably the first thing maybe beside uh, you know engineering and, and my career it's probably the first f- thing that I've done to an extent where I became let's say an expert on it like that and I pasta. stuck mm-hmm. uh, what? and pasta and pasta <laughs> yes now pasta is pasta it's more like a religion to me it's not <laughs> like a, a, it's who you are. a passion no <laughs> it's what defines me no uh, your veins are made of spaghetti and they're yes. not broken and they're a conversation they're unbroken yeah. <laughs> no, so it's probably uh, to each his own, but maybe this aspect of my life penalized me in a sense that um, maybe I didn't stuck around long enough to learn other things. You know, I, I've done all sorts of sports in my life, and I've done it for one year, a year and a half, and then I dropped because I was just I wasn't wasn't good. Yeah. Skydiving is the first one where I stuck around long enough to become good at it. Mm-hmm. So, was, was there any specific thing that kept drawing you back in, or was it just the desire to accomplish the goal, or or anything like that? Uh, I don't know. With skydiving, there was always... Uh, so initially, you know, skydiving, it's fun because it's the adrenaline. When yeah, you're new, you skydive and you're like, oh my God! Uh, that was awesome. Oh, you're just pumped. Yeah. You know? And so that... But that only really lasts, I don't know, 40, 50 uh, jumps. After, it goes away. But after that, I think uh, with skydiving, I was lucky enough that I was someone else or I always looked up to someone that gave me a sense of progression, Right. So when I started, uh, I had my first AFF instructors, uh, Tanya and Robbie. We're still friends. We still talk. We were texting to each other a couple of days ago. 
And you know, I was like, I, um, I was a pretty bad student, as uh, as you can imagine <laughs> from the conversation we had. I had to repeat levels. I was bad. You know, I wasn't mm. one of those people that you're like, oh my god, you're natural. No, yeah. I'm the opposite of natural. Um, uh, so, uh, but <laughs> that's you know, that's a word for him. Yeah, no, I, I like it. See, so, see, no, they're, they're, see when I do see. that, it feels like I'm just making noise. When you do that, it feels like you're still communicating. It feels like and a I sentence. I know, I feel what you're saying when you do it. No, but that's, <laughs> that's how I talk. Again, no, I'm I, not gonna change. Dude, that I love it. Don't point. ever change. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, I was bad. Uh, and then I stuck around and I became okay. And I made this joke to uh, Tanya. I told like Tanya, "Wanna bet? Like a year, a year after my first jump, before a year after my first jump, I'm gonna get my coach ratings." And um, she's like, eh, "You shouldn't really put that as a limit." You know, she was trying to not. Uh, it's not a big deal if you do. If you don't, uh, yeah. and then uh, it's exactly a year after my um, my first jump, I had about a couple of hundred jumps, and um, well kind of sad to mention him now but tom noonan came to cpi i remember that uh, like it was yesterday um, you know unfortunately at, um, but yep. so he came to cpi a year after and i took my coach rating with him and i went through the coach rating and i did really well and that was one of the turning point for sky uh, my skydiving career if you want to say just like going through this core class that not only uh, taught me how to sky you know coach a skydiver which is whatever it really like um, taught me how to teach and how to break things apart so that you. So uh, it's actually yep. skills that now I apply on everyday's life. It's not just skydiving. Nice. Even though I don't have my, my coach ratings are expired, I still think that's one of the best thing I did for skydiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got my coach rating, and at that point, uh, Tanya wasn't around the drops anymore. She moved to a different state. I said, "Hey, you know what happened? Like it was like." J- exactly. Tomorrow is gonna be one year after my first jump. You know what just happens? Like, oh, you got your coach. Yeah, I got my coach. Right? Things like ah, that. Was, uh, that was cool. And after that, there was always something. So for me, it was never just the skydiving. There was always something to do with skydiving. Always yeah. like having like a little goal, a short-term goal or medium-term goal. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, always, always another door that. to be opened. Mm. Yeah, uh, you said that you went through a plateau recently. Mm-hmm. What did that plateau look like? for you in terms of your performance and what you were trying to do? Um, if I had to be brutally honest with myself, I think the plateau was due to the fact that... Um, so uh, a couple of years ago... Oh, a couple of years ago, I was flying uh, so uh, my Velo, uh, Velo 84, and I was doing okay with it. I was doing quite well. Um, you know, I already did nationals on my Velo 84. I was dragging water. I was flying it accurately. I was able to do certain things I was happy with. And then I think maybe a little caved into some pressure or whatever. And like, oh, you're ready for a VK, you're ready for a VK. Just hook up the VK. So I hooked up a VK75. I think probably before I was exactly ready to switch to the, the smaller, faster, better canopy. And um, so I got, I found myself in this sort of like limbo where I wasn't exactly dangerous with the canopy. I never got scared by the canopy, but at the same time, maybe I was scared by the canopy or the canopy fell too fast. There was something that kind of like made me regress. Yeah. And at that point, I went through this mental like, should I just hook up the Velo 84? But that's, oh my God, that's going to feel like I'm regressing. I don't want to yeah. admit that to myself. Maybe I was going through and so for, for a long time, I was just struggling with this. And then I let it go into my head. Maybe I made it a bigger deal than it really was. Because yeah. at the end of the day, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. So for several months, I just went through this struggle. And my performance were affected in the sense that I kept just like swooping. And having this bad swoop, so I would just roll, you know, 20 feet high, which practically means you're not swooping. You're just landing at that point. Orbit. 
Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> just in orbit and whatever, like a satellite, and eventually you're going to come back <laughs> to the atmosphere it's and the burn. It's the inspiration for... Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, space. So a little bit, I don't want to sound like, oh my God, uh, you shouldn't downsize before you're ready because, uh, but yeah, you shouldn't downsize before before you're ready because you're going to hurt mm-hmm. your, your progression more than you realize, maybe, if, especially if you're trying to do things with the canopy. Most definitely. I want to park on that conversation and your previous question. Um, so your previous question um, was was um, some people learn uh, very natural flyers and they just kind of progress without having to think about it. And some people have to think about it and really digest which one's better. And ultimately, neither is better. It's what's best for each person. Um, The most important part of that is to realize which side you're on and not to overdo that side. So for Daniele's case, something that he actually did well at, and I've been involved with Daniele since he's been in Spaceland. We immediately became buddies and then started working and helping him out here and there. And it's bro you're overthinking you're over criticizing you're too hard on yourself you still go out there and just fly the fucking wing stop thinking and start flying and for those over analytical people finding that balance is difficult but knowing that you could do it or you need to and then conversely let's put Daniele now in the other game just a mindset game on an 84 valkyrie velocity you're crushing it you're doing good you're smooth you're clean you're not having to think too much so you think you're ready to move on but you're not intimate you haven't analyzed when somebody's doing well, they need to realize just because you're doing good doesn't mean you understand it, just yeah. doesn't mean you're in tune with it, doesn't mean you're intimate with it. So taking your time and slowing that down, if you're the guy who's naturally getting it, recognizing slowing down, it's not that you can't handle moving to the next canopy, it's that you're not going to do it as well. Learning, in so energy, kinetic and potential energy, right? I, I equate it to learning energy, kinetic and potential kinetic and potential uh, learning energy. If you try to learn as quick as you can, it's going to have this really steep learning curve that plateaus for a really long time because you never built up that potential energy. If instead you retard your learning curve, you hold it back, you slow it down, and you just say, man, I'm really going to sit here for a while and build up all this skill and all this knowledge, when you go to learn that next thing, that potential energy or that kinetic energy just skyrockets. And ultimately, you're going to learn slower early on when you're going with that slow pace but you're going to learn faster in the long run and you're going to be able to progress better because you have a more intimate knowledge and skill set ingrained so knowing how to slow down and when to slow down whether it's with skill and action or the, whether it's with thought and, and overthinking which you've been on both sides of the fence yep. now yeah mm-hmm. you just blew my mind that was the perfect way to put it <laughs> That was what I was trying to say earlier when I asked the question, but it came out as word vomit. That's what I meant. That's, that's, yeah, that's much yeah. way to say that. Yeah, no, that was that was a very good way of putting that. I like that a whole I'm lot. really good at talking shit. <laughs> Don't know if you knew that. No, that was, Why that did was, you shake your head? Yes, Elsa. That was beautiful. I'm about to cry on the couch. Don't. <laughs> that's I'm not sure the first time you've like cried like on the couch. Now we're thinking really deep, you know. Yeah. <laughs> What's the next deep topic? Uh, it's up to you guys. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> uh, we can talk about whatever you want. The film festival is this weekend. That's a deep topic. Holy really shit. cool. Are you, are you going to do something? Have you put something together? No. Whoa. That was Where did rad. That just come out of? Did it, wait, was, was that, that intentional? Oh, yes. no. Wait, hit me you with need to plug one. in. Hold on. We arrived at technical issues? We may be, but we're going to talk through it. Okay, that's yeah, that's our job now. Bump, oh. Yeah, push through <laughs> it and pretend nothing yeah, is happening. The, the, I'm, no, I'm sure the, there is a crutch now on camera. DJ's crutch. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. That would, that's the money shot right there. That's okay. why we do it. Uh, I think the camera now is pointing to the ground. It's not looking at me anymore. I don't know. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. That's, we'll figure that's, it that's, out. that's her job. Her job is just to yeah, uh, just to talk. Yourself. Oh yeah. But there you go. You're being analytical about it. I like it. That's that's why I'm. I cannot help it. I wish I could change it, but I'm not gonna change. But I think that's a good thing, right? Like you know, being on whatever whatever end of the spectrum. You can Kind of like what DJ was elegantly saying, and I'm not so elegantly saying of you know learning that about yourself and learning how to apply it to to your advantage you know mm-hmm. um what were it? film festival uh, yeah. are you doing no, a so, so to answer your question no, i'm super excited about the film festival i love watching a film festival yeah. every year i'm not gonna bring anything to the film festival because again i'm a super all i do is swooping <laughs> unless you want to see like a five minutes video of like the pounding like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh. the same thing 500 times Man. in a row I mean, uh, DQ you did that and did really well. It was actually yeah, really just, good. You have to be. <laughs> yes. That. You just got to do that at the end of the Scooby Doo. Well. DQ <laughs> actually is asking, when does the spaghetti recipe start? Hey. <laughs> DQ, first you start with you a breaking the spaghetti. You always break the spaghetti, right? I think I it's time. I think already. it's time. <laughs> We have this conversation. America is ready. <laughs> uh, it might be uncomfortable, but America is ready to have this conversation. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, like society should learn that you shouldn't bring the spaghetti. Break, break the spaghetti. Why not? So? No breaking. It's because it's one of those things you don't do. Like, why would you <laughs> buy a spaghetti that is this long and then break it when, like, it doesn't make... It, it doesn't we, say don't break on the package. Yeah, this it's is a America. matter of fact, there's always broken spaghetti in the package by default. Well, I'm sure your car manual doesn't say don't crash into a wall, but still you shouldn't be crashing into a wall I with mean, your car just because it doesn't This say. is America. You have to have labels on everything. But, so, there is a warning that you could crash on your car. There isn't a warning that you could break spaghetti. So, obviously, it's not a bad <laughs> thing just because if it was a bad thing they'd have a warning label for it because there is warning labels for everything well i'm not saying it's a dangerous thing i'm saying it's just <laughs> wrong it could be dangerous it's in italy though right because you could get shanked well not shanked, people will shanked. judge you really harshly yeah. that's all like i mean i'm no being one, judged by an italian so congratulations I'm, he wears leather loafers i'm picturing this <laughs> Like you're you're over for a nice Italian <laughs> dinner in Italy. Yeah, yeah. Dinner is being made, everything's uh-huh. being prepared, and it's silent in the room, and you just mm-hmm. hear the cracking of noodles, and everyone, and everyone just flips. looks towards the kitchen. Oh, is that accurate? Would people? It, it, it would totally be. Yeah, there would be a lot of what the fuck <laughs> going in people's <laughs> head at that point. Later, chaos it, just WTF, erupts. Bro, yeah, I want to go to sure. Italy. Everyone's screaming. No. And order a plate of spaghetti, and when it's dead quiet, just drag my knife Ooh. through it and no. make the. You could you could Noise. order it broken. Can you order broken spaghetti? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. No. I'm sure if you no do, hesitation. they will do it for you. But you really have to ask, and people will actually ask a couple of times. What like, you mean? Are like, you are sure? Are you sure you want to break this? Spaghetti? Yeah. No. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't think you can. I don't think you should. Like, just because you can, it doesn't mean you should. I will say though that when I, when I finally learned like the trick to putting the spaghetti in and then like making it all fit in the pot because that was like my yeah. problem that I would yeah. break it because it would fit in the pot so all the way. So you admit it. You broke the spaghetti. So yes, but then now I figured out the trick. You let it like in there for a second and, and then you spin, you spin it. it. Yeah, exactly. And you push it like that. No, so really you just don't need to do anything. You just drop your fucking noodles in the pot and within yeah. a couple minutes yeah. it just slowers just, itself. Exactly. So it's I a like beautiful yeah. thing. It's I, the process is beautiful. And you don't have to break it to make it all fit all at the same time. I, it'll I, eventually life. fit. Yeah. I would <laughs> bet I've cooked more spaghetti than you over my life. Oh, that's a challenge. 
Yeah, I, mean, I was a prep cook at Olive Garden. Okay, so <laughs> okay you probably yeah. yeah. Yes. I cooked okay, noodles so, every morning for uh, a good part of my life. I, I should have guessed that because <laughs> you've done like ten thousand things in your in life. In college, so, what do yeah. you do? Prep yeah. cook. True. Uh, most of not most, but so many people worked mm-hmm. in restaurants in college. That was True. one of not my jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What happens if if a spaghetti breaks in front of you and it's an accident? Do you have like a little ceremony for that spaghetti? Nah, you just no, toss no, it in no, there no. and say, "Hey, I didn't break that," just so everyone knows. You just have to. You just have to realize that accidents do happen, <laughs> and you just move on with your life. Because Fair enough, you just uh, don't you dwell know. on it. No, you shouldn't let that affect your life on your day more than it needs to. Understand more yourself. than it needs to. More than it needs to. There's, there's a there's a mourning period, and you have to. Abide well, by that. you're still gonna be pissed that your <laughs> dinner is partially ruined. I mean, you're still gonna be like, how is it ruined? It still goes in your mouth. It still mixes the same way. You're gonna know. break the which, spaghetti which with brings, your teeth. Which brings me to my next question: How long does it have to stay intact? Because we were talking about this earlier, and I imagined it passing entirely through your digestive system, never breaking. Do you like start to noodles? finish? It passes all the way through you. You have to chew it. That's breaking spaghetti. No, you got to swallow yeah. it. Don't break but the spaghetti. <laughs> that's I don't make the rules. I but how's it different? I, haven't eaten I can cut it on my plate. Or I can cut it with my teeth. <laughs> You're not allowed. Well, yes, but but where's the difference? It still goes in my mouth. It still gets masticated. It's still little small pieces of noodle with but sauce. This seems like that conversation from the Monty <laughs> Python movie, The Meaning of Life, where at the end, the guy goes to a restaurant and just asks for all this nice food and stuff in a bucket because he's just going to eat it like that. Who cares, right? You're yeah, just pres- going to eat it and it's all going to... smoothie sure. it up. You know? yeah. It's like... Mix all your food together. Spaghetti smoothie. Yeah. No, it's just... The spaghetti should be unbroken. It should be a spaghetti. Yeah, Otherwise, think, it's I not a spaghetti. A point. Like, like, presentation I mean, matters. We, we do... Uh, so sometimes <laughs> for kids, you do break the spaghetti like this up because you put them in a broth when they're sick and they eat it with a spoon or something like so that. So it's acceptable to break spaghetti somewhere in your world. Well, when there's Somewhere in your world. You just have world. to be a child. For sick. sick people, yeah. A, chi- a sick, sick child. child. For a sick child, it's acceptable, for sure. So to help nourish young folks, to help make people better, to help make people healthier, yeah. Yeah. it is a good... Man, see? Th- th- no, no, so no, sure. in a good context, you should break spaghetti. It's well, a good thing. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> like that Make-A-Wish Foundation would break spaghetti for you, but <laughs> you shouldn't get to that point. But, I mean, you're saying break spaghetti for sick kids, bro. I mean, it's a good thing to break spaghetti then. That's not a bad message. Promote it. (laughs) (laughs) Just only in America. It it can be acceptable. No, America is not ready. I I think America is ready to learn that spaghetti should not be broken. Except for special occasions like... Sh- children are dying. Dude, I can't believe we actually <laughs> have him with an exception now. Yeah, this no, I didn't think I did not picture you compromising on this at all. Also, well, this is a conversation children, that's been six, happening for months. Children is a good reason. This long at a time, like it's nonstop. So I have to sense, I, at the sick children St. Jude thing. I have to really something I wanted to talk about last show and I didn't get to was Inspiration Nine. Uh, do you or no Inspiration Four? What the fuck? I said nine, and you looked at me funny. I'm like, do you know who the Inspiration Four is, Elsa? No. Um, I think you obviously know. I do, not vaguely, but not. I'm not an expert either. But I tell me, tell me. Uh, it was SpaceX's third Dragon mission. Oh, okay. So Dragon is the capsule. The first mission Mm -hmm. was unmanned. The next two were manned. The second one was manned by astronauts. I use air quotes to say that. The the second or the third. Mission, second crew, were all four civilian astronauts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Civilian meaning none of them were professional astronauts. One guy is just a super rich motherfucker. Um, He he worked hard. He's earned his money. I ain't making fun of him. He seems Mm -hmm. like a super nice dude. His name's Jared. 
And he was able to partner with SpaceX to do this project. And he picked three other people at random. One of them, they hit up St. Jude to find somebody who was a cancer survivor, pediatric cancer survivor. <laughs> and she happens to be a, uh, I think, PA, physician's assistant at St. Jude. And so she was just kind of randomly picked by the St. Jude people. Uh, they raised uh, $200 million, I think, for St. Jude, if I remember the number right now. Damn. They... Ran a campaign for the Super Bowl, donate to St. Jude, and you get drawn. So a 35-year-old on yeah. ballpark in the number, uh, old man, father, husband, went to space with him. And then the other one was submit your Twitter video, and we'll pick off of that. And the last one, this lady named Cyan, uh, Cy is what they call her, a uh, 50-ish-year-old lady. Her father was one of the people in Guam who was in communication with Neil Armstrong and mm. the Apollo capsule when it was going through its problems. Nice. So she has grown up with space as part of her family. She actually was picked for space missions and it never worked out. So she was at some point picked to go to astronaut training and then it got shut down. So her she, she's living this dream and she's finally said, that book's closed on my life. I'm never going to space. And they fucking picked this lady to go to space. So the four of them went to space. Um... 330, do you know what the, the Carmen line is? Mm -hmm. uh, roughly, yeah. It's 330,000 feet. Um, most people in the world, the FAI in particular, agree the Carmen line is a line delineating between space and not space or near space. Mm -hmm. uh, the FAA calls that number like 280-ish or something like that. I forget. I forget if it's the FAA, but... Yeah. It's yeah, it's roughly 100 kilometers, yeah. but it's not exactly, but it's a little give bit, or take. Yeah, it's a little bit off for them. But you have to go over the Carmen line mm -hmm. to be considered an astronaut. Um, they flew beyond the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. The inspiration for you've got to yep. watch this video. It's a it's a documentary yeah. uh, yeah. on Netflix. So look up the mm -hmm. inspiration for. Uh, look what the name of it is on Netflix for the inspiration for. Yeah. Uh, so SpaceX inspiration for it went mm -hmm. five hundred and seventy five kilometers. Yes. Yeah. So that's about. 100 kilometers, 150 kilometers more than the ISS. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that was part of their, their goal and their gesture was to like, hey, A, we're, we're paving the way for civilian space flight, right? For yeah. civilian travel because they're a fully civilian crew. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to not set a precedent by going above the Kármán line. We're going to set a precedent by going farther than anybody else who, hor who normally orbits. Yeah. Yeah. Make a statement. Dude, it, it's it's so amazing. And in my life, I never thought that we would see regular people go to space. Astronauts go to space, yeah. but not regular people. Um, now, 100,000 feet is not space. It is near space. It, mm -hmm. it is not. But there is a company in 2023 or 2024, I forget. There's actually two companies who are offering balloon rides, hot air balloons mm -hmm. or big balloons, not hot air, but big balloons. Now, and the capsules are huge. The capsules are taken in. The small one holds eight people comfortably, plus a bar and a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I say a bar. It's, That's it's, rad. I describe it as a bar, but it's it's a bar said and done. Uh, and it's $50,000 to go to 100,000 feet. Um, the, the the fancier one's 125000 So I can't afford that. What? But the idea of civilian space travel... And the fact that the average human being, 
might have to make a small sacrifice, mm-hmm. but $50,000, bro, that's not... Drive your fucking car for four years longer than you planned right. on it, and you got fifty grand, dude. Or can you jump maybe, from it, though? Right. I'm just being a What was the altitude of Felix Baumgarten? 120-something. Yeah. That, that's something that always uh, kind of, like, upset me about that whole, like, uh, stunt. It was amazing. It was great. It was inspiring. And seeing Red Bull being able to... Oh, my God. It was amazing. But if it was like, he jumped from space. I'm like, no, dude. It wasn't even near <laughs> to where he would say he jumped from space. It was still, like, in the atmosphere. Well, we didn't well, right because he fell. If it was in space, he would just float off, right? Uh, well, yeah. Once you're in orbit, yes. Yeah. Uh, you would need to deorbit, de- so you would need to like burn some propellant to like yeah. slow yourself down and fall back to her. Yeah. You need to watch that Netflix. Oh, I video. did about yeah. Fe- Felix. No, 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 no. About uh, um, about uh, the uh, oh the inspiration. inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Four. You have to go mm-hmm. seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. constant velocity mm-hmm. to maintain orbit. Mm-hmm. And so for the ins- for the uh, Dragon capsule to actually re-enter Earth, they ba- they use their uh, thrusters to reposition yep. it. So now they have the drag side shown, and just that enough is enough drag to slow it down, hence the reheat and entry. And eventually, it just slows just down. And down. it's it's a nice. really long hill for skydivers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, done. It, it's funny, so funny. With, with things in orbit. You almost have it's almost counterintuitive that sometimes to go up and down, you just have to accelerate and decelerate tangentially to where you want to go and that will also kind of like have you like you don't go straight up or straight down like you yeah. can just accelerate and that will put you in an orbit that is further away from where you which are which makes yeah. kind of sense when you know oh, understand lift 100 yeah. percent. well there's no lift in space. no there's this not all but about the like, same premise is there it's, yeah it's all about balancing forces so yeah. like if you're going faster now you're just have less like you're just going off the line yeah yeah Crazy. um because earth is bringing you in slowly yeah. No. Well, not mm-hmm. slowly. Uh, that's a common mi- misconception. So wh- wh- where the um, ISS orbits, let's use the space station, International Space Station as a reference, just because everybody knows that maybe a lot of skydivers have seen it like flying across the sky, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's sure. uh, the orbit is 400 kilometers. So that's not a lot. That's uh, if we had a road that goes straight to it, we could get there in like leisurely half a day of driving, we would go to the International Space Station, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really that far away. Uh, Hubble, the, spa- the, the space telescope, it's 550, 560 kilometers. Again, half a day of driving and you're there. Low Earth orbit, it's close. So gravity there, it's really not that much lower than here is. I don't want to say number, but I think it's like 90% of what gravity is here. Okay. Wow. So like, if, if the space station would immediately stop, it just fall like a rock not a lot slower than a skydiver would like you know if it wasn't like normal as normal skydiver freefall kind of deal okay the reason why they don't feel gravity and they don't fall like a rock is because they have this very fast speed that keeps them uh rotating around the earth and that creates centrifugal force like when you have something tied to a chain you just rotate that thing wants to fly away from it right um same thing happens with international space station everything is exactly in balance and right there there is no gravity or rather there is what they call mi- microgravity right but gravity is there and it's 90 percent of the gravity on earth so it's still there um so the, the point is if i accelerate now uh, the, the centrifugal force of course increases as speed increases so to keep it in balance i naturally have to go further away because that's where the balance of the forces happens again and so mm-hmm. far and so on so well, rather uh, slowing down. So the, the further away from her, the slower I can be, so that I can stay in order and in orbit. And the closer I'm to her, the faster I need to. Ooh, <laughs> the faster I need to be <laughs> to remain there in orbit. Is. 
Um, so okay. it's, it's a nice balance of forces. And again, like it's, it's counterintuitive, but it makes sense once you mm-hmm. think about it. How often is that fluctuating between faster and slower? Or is, or is it more of a constant speed and you've, you know they're in the sweet spot and they're just maintaining that same the same they uh, they, they are in the sweet spot once you're mm-hmm. in orbit they maintain orbit for the most part especially mm-hmm. things like a space station or something they stay on constant orbit they will need to periodically do burns to kind of like re reconfigure the orbit and okay, stay in I've the totally same orbit totally heard that in space movies before yeah burns Burns. You gotta do yeah. burns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, again, even though the space station is in space, by all means, 100% in space, still it's 400 kilometers. So they have things like micro drag. There is still a little bit of tam- atmosphere there, dust. Even just the flex of the part kind of like creates drag and eventually just slows, s- lose speed over a long period of time. So you will need to like mm. do burn to regain the speed and stay in the orbit you want to stay. They, I, they, see. I wouldn't say regular. I so. Uh, we're going to have a guest at some point on the show we've talked about named Randy Morgan. Randy Morgan yeah. worked as a trajectory officer for the International Space Station. Nice. So they're basically yeah, no, going Randy. like, hey, yo, uh, Space Station, you're about to run into some space junk, so you need to like mm-hmm. dodge the shit in this job. <laughs> um, Randy sounds way smarter than me, by the way. <laughs> and so I've, I've spent, dude, a couple hours in the observation deck of ISS Mission Control, and you know the whole screen that you mm-hmm. see? Yeah, I've, I know. I learned every fucking line and yeah. number. I'm like, what's this mean? What's this? So at this hour, at this time, we're going to cross this, and we're getting handed off from this mm-hmm. satellite. This, oh, my God. It's it, Randy does. Right now, you can't get a tour, I don't think. Right now, the campus is closed. I though. am not sure to be honest. I think so, yeah. I think the backdoor tours so. are still closed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, man, he gives the, him and uh, um, Rich Delgado give me some mm. phenomenal tours. Uh, they do occasionally change the speed uh, they or adjust yep. the trajectory because of space junk. So I the see. space station, they're changing speed here and there just for minor adjustments. And I got to retract one statement, and I completely said this wrong, and I apologize. Uh, you don't have to go above the Kármán line to be considered a astronaut. That actually, I think, was a rule or a law at some point. They changed it to where you yeah, actually have, have to uh, conduct a science mm-hmm. experiment. That was kind of a... Uh, I, I, fuck you to Bezos. Yes, that was kind of a dick move in a way because no one likes Bezos, right? Probably not even Bezos like Bezos. But maybe Bezos <laughs> likes Bezos. Okay. but um, So for, for many, many years since like the Sputin, well, since Yuri Gagarin went to space, the definition was if you fly above the Kármán line and you land safely and you survive, you're an astronaut. So it doesn't matter if you even fly a spacecraft <laughs> of an aircraft. Otherwise, you're a bomb. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, like, yeah. I don't, do you have a Do you have a name for the person who went above the line but did not land safely? Are they uh, an aviator? Just space junk. Just yeah. space junk. <laughs> People yeah. that didn't hold their an breath avi- long <laughs> enough. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, an aviator. So I, I forget the exact word, but basically it's the difference between an air, an aviator, and an astronaut. I forget the right word, but they got it. So I, did, I didn't mean to derail it, you. Sorry. No, it's, it remained that way for for since Yuri Gagarin flew. That was the FAI in, the, in definition. In fact, there are people in the U.S. that were never part of the NASA program, but they are astronauts. They have the golden wing of astronauts because they flew the X-15, you know, the airplane, the one that mm-hmm. went eight times the speed of sound yeah. back in the 60s or whatever. So that plane flew high enough that he went above the common line regularly. So we had astronauts that were never part of the astronaut program, but they satisfied the requirement. For the longest time, everybody was happy with that. Then I think it was the day before Jeff Bezos did this oh, thing no where he shit. would have flown above. They ch- 
change the requirement, as DJ said, to like you have to conduct either experiments or a mission critical tasks or whatever, something uh-huh. like that, above the common line to be an astronaut so that they basically ruled out all this quote unquote space tourists. How the complex? Day before. The day before. Yeah, the a day real, before. A real kick in the <laughs> dick. But like, how, how complex? Does this experiment have to be? Uh, that's also not I very complex. You create like, does the color blue still look it's like so blue in space? Uh, like, it's blue. I'm so an astronaut. You know, the inspiration for to do their scientific experiments mm-hmm. took swabs on themselves, stored okay. the swabs to be brought down to Earth so they can compare them to swabs from Earth, and they did scientific experiments. Yeah, yeah that's a that, so that absolutely gave me sterile swabs and like literally swab between my nose, yeah. my toes, and my nose. Yeah, do you think they were told where to swab, or they're yes. like just fucking go nuts? No, hundred percent. Swab can whatever you, you want. Can you swab. pee and sneeze in <laughs> space? <right? laughs> yeah. like, yeah. uh, no, they were they're very like specific swabs. I would I would imagine so. They're not yeah. just like yeah, have at they're it. NASA. Fucking, I mean, yo, <laughs> clean your ears, bro. You're an astronaut. SpaceX. Man, at some point, or some people consider the definition of an astronaut as somebody who's been trained to travel to space. Which, I mean, I don't... Yeah. Maybe someone who is trained sure. and then does it. Or yeah. yeah. Well, no, yeah, you have to, to do complete, it. You have to accomplish the task to become an astronaut. Well, uh, that's okay. So I think there is... Um, don't quote me on that uh, off the record right now. Uh, there is a different, like, uh, you're an astronaut for NASA if you complete the training. I think the definition for the FAI to be an astronaut ah, is okay. a different story. Yes, I see. And what you do or don't do with NASA for the FAI is completely relevant. Yeah. But yeah, so... Ah, I see. So, yeah. like, you would be part of the astronaut class of 2021 if you, you know, graduate the astronaut training and whatnot, but you're not an astronaut for the FAI until you fly an astronaut mission. Got it. Okay. So you're sort of, you sort of have to uh, pop the cherry with the FAI, so to speak. Yeah, because otherwise, like... Uh, this this definition of being trained blah, blah blah wouldn't apply to people that maybe are with the Russian space program or yeah. whatever. But the FAI just you know hmm. came up with this definition of the Kalman line, which is pretty cool because the Kalman line it's just this line a hundred kilometer in space or whatever it is. Um, it's funny because there is a physical meaning to that, and it is where basically all your fluids and water, your sweat, your uh, saliva and stuff would start boiling because the pressure is so low that oh. your fluids start boiling. So there is an actual physical definition to that. It's where yeah. you need a, a suit, a pressurized suit to survive. Okay, the, I, was, out, I was wondering the, about the that, the like why this line is where it is. And mm-hmm. what, what point are you measuring off of? Is that the point? Like, that's just the point where your blood or fluids start boiling? You or know, it's uh, a rough spot on Earth that you're measuring from? Or uh, it's just kind like of everything, I'm sure it's just a calculation. It's a convention. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the standard model of atmosphere, the one that we use in our altimeter, it says, oh, we are 500 feet. Are yeah. we really? It's just that they say that pressure, usually on a standard day, you're at 500 feet. When in reality, maybe you're at 700 feet because mm-hmm. it's that, standard model. That right? sounds very logical. So. I'm gonna imagine that they're measuring from Houston though, because I want to feel special. I have no Houston, idea. we have a problem. Yeah. Oh, we should Man. have one problem. <laughs> so <laughs> space, <laughs> space is something I, I, I just it, it fascinates me, and I, mm-hmm. I dream of. I love it. Um, you actually work for NASA, working Correct. with the Mars rover simulator. Nope. nope. Uh, Did you do that at some point? Nope. I thought Never. you worked in some rover simulator. Nope. Uh, uh, since I started with NASA, I've always been on the Artemis program. You are so in the Artemis. So that yep. was where I wanted to so get to was the, the Artemis project. Man, man space exploration. Yeah. So do you know what, what the Artemis project is? Uh, you're not Nick. I do not. Were you about to call me Nick? Yeah, I was about to call you Nick, motherfucker. Is it because I look like Nick or just because I'm sitting in a spot? Because you're sitting in Nick's chair. Fair enough. Um, It's my seat. Uh, So 
the Artemis project is is NASA's uh, mission to go to back to the moon, mm-hmm. and also uh, beyond said and done. Yep. Um, twenty twenty three, I believe, or is it twenty twenty four? Is the goal to have the next man mission to the moon? Uh, we just had the new set of dates, but I don't think I can disclose that yet. Okay. So just go but on Wikipedia and see the published what the dates. official... Yeah, I think that's, the published date is... So 2024 sounds about right. I yeah. think that was the last official one. I think it was too. Yeah, I'm not sure. But the goal, and, and I don't really believe, when, I, when I've seen the dates, I don't really believe the dates are accurate to when we'll go. No, but the thing that's most are. interesting to me is the goal is to go annually after that. Mm-hmm. So the wow. Artemis moon base, we, we have to have a lunar base if we're going to go regularly. They're looking at building the Artemis lunar base. Uh, it's The Artemis project is super fucking interesting. So what is the overall goal with the annual visits to, to learn how to colonize off-planet? Uh, I think the long-term goal would be to establish a permanent pres- presence on the moon, similar to now we have a space station. Yeah. In orbit, it would be nice to have a space station on the moon. Yeah. That would be really freaking cool. Like, Dude, that, would be that, like, that pumps me up so much. I know. I don't I'm understand so how excited. people can't get pumped so about dope. space. I know. You, like, I, I don't yeah. know anything about so it, but I the, fucking... Like, when I hear us talk about this kind of stuff, it just it makes me all warm yeah. and tingly inside. So I the love first it. step back will be, of course, as uh, the Artemis program will have, like, several missions that are just, like, you know, first a non-manned mission, then a manned mission where it's just going to be orbit, certain tasks on orbit, and then eventually we want to bring um, a person back to the moon, land a person back to the moon. And this time, I think the administration wants to say we're going to land a woman back to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to do something that has not been done before. A part of the space program is also doing things that are new, that mm-hmm. have not been done, right? Yeah. And after that, yeah, it would be nice to just uh, establish like a regular um, way to go back to the moon. And um, they're building like um, a space gateway. So it's this gateway that is going to be in this uh, orbit. on YouTube? I don't believe so. No. Okay, I'm sorry. This orbit around the moon that you, it can be used as like sort of like a, a stepping stone to land people on the moon and take people off. So yeah. there is a lot that is happening in the next few years. Like the next big project, the next big thing that is happening in NASA right now that has a lot of people excited that I'm super excited about. It's not even my program because that's a couple of years down the road. Um, less than a couple of years, but it's the James Webb Space Telescope, right? That's mm-hmm. gonna launch on December eighteenth. Uh, hey. Yeah, it's so it's finally it's happening. That's my birthday. Oh, okay, cool. That was easy to remember. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a little present for my birthday. Yeah, exactly. yeah, hopefully, uh, <laughs> everybody's so excited because you know we've all been, um, we've all grow, grew up with the images coming from Hubble, right? Yeah. Hubble is this the first time we looked at the galaxy that way and Apple was launched in the 1990 or 1995 I don't remember but either 90 or 1995 so okay. we all grew up with that and now we are launching this telescope that is three times as big as Apple um, much much more capable because cameras in the last 30 years have evolved a lot yeah of course um, so it's much more capable but what's really cool about it so again uh, and people don't get the perspective of distance in space so Hubble is orbiting at 500 kilometers away from us. Again, like a quick, like half a day of driving from from Earth, right? Um, the James Webb Space Telescope is gonna be uh, put in this like thing called the Laplacian point. Laplacian point. It's basically this uh, invisible parking spot in space. Mm. So um, if you think of two bodies, uh, a big like the Sun and Earth, right? They attract uh, everything that has a mass attracts you. Like we fall toward Earth because Earth is close as we can. Mm-hmm. So if there is a sun and there is Earth, they also attract each other. If there is something in between, a body would be attracted to the f- 
to the sun, toward the sun, and toward the earth at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. There is a point somewhere in between where these forces are perfectly in balance yeah. and the body would just nice. sit there, right? That is amazing. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are five points like that. Uh, if you think there is one exa- between the two closer to the smaller body and then like a, uh, a triangle like with of the same length uh, equi, equi, equi whatever the name is uh, for an equilateral equilateral, equilateral, equilateral triangle equilateral. there are these other two points there and then there is a point there and there is a point on the other side of the small body so there are five Laplacian points where a body would just remain balanced between these two uh, planets uh-huh. in this case the sun and earth the sun being a star that was amazing. Um, so the plan is to put like this james webb space telescope in one of these laplacian points so that it's just gonna sit parked there mm-hmm. and it can do this amazing like astronomy science like much more powerful than hubble the problem with that is which is in cool and scary at the same time hubble is 500 kilometers hubble had a malfunction uh, the lens didn't work initially. They went with the space shuttle. They fixed it. They upgraded the camera over the years. They could get there. It's 500 kilometers. Not not a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this Laplacian point is going to be far away from Earth, varying between 500,000 kilometers and 1.5, mil- 1.5 million kilometers. Wow. So you get one shot at that. One if something shot. doesn't work on that space telescope, it's gonna become the most expensive thing, uh, most expensive piece of space junk. Oh my Imagine God. you world. go through all of that, you shoot it that far into space, and you like forget to take off the fucking lens cap. The, the, they remove before <laughs> flying. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's the last thing that, that you didn't do. Yeah, <laughs> the totally it's like out it. there. It's functional, but all we're seeing is black. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. There's some dude in a laboratory looking at a telescope, making his hand flash like he's looking at a GoPro. <laughs> I could see that like in an Austin Powers movie or something. Oh my god, how terrible would that be? And I'm I'm assuming it's much more sophisticated than that. Of course, it's not just yeah. a lens cap, but also there's this part of my brain that thinks there's a lens cap guy, oh, and that's his whole yeah. job is just to at the end of it make sure at the lens cap is off. Some point there was someone <laughs> who removed the cap from that thing. Yeah. Yes, like. <laughs> Uh, it's so funny be. that that's part of the equation for me. Yeah, like these really and, simple things. And another scary thing is it's going to launch December 18, right? Mm. And it's going to reach this Laplacian point in several days. I don't know if it's a couple of weeks or whatever, 20 days. I don't remember. I, but like for those 20 days, there are people on the ground that have spent like years, years of their life and devoted so much time and they're not going to know if the, the landscape is 20 on. days of yeah. their lives. Yeah, they don't know if the landscape is on or the landscape is <laughs> and on. And how yeah. long does it take for a signal, communication signal, to get from that distance back to us? Uh, if I had to guess, I want to say several seconds. Um, wow. Not that... Uh, so... Think about it. You know when when people land rovers on Mars, yeah. um, it takes about eight minutes. It's the same distance. How far is Mars? Uh, Mars is quite a lot more far. I don't remember, okay. but it's, it's I think it's what fifty minutes kilometers. I don't know. Like you'd have to check Wikipedia. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes about eight minutes for a signal to come from Mars back to Earth. I think it's eight point eight minutes and twenty seconds. And one of the things they say about when you land a rover on Mars, they call it the eight minutes of terror. Because there are a, an eight minutes window where you know that your rover has landed. You don't know if your rover just exploded or it's functioning and sending signal. Yeah. You have eight minutes where you just have to wait. There is nothing Ooh. you can do, nothing you have to do. You just have to sit there in sheer terror 
that again your rover might have exploded in the Dude. atmosphere eight minutes ago and you what don't do you, know what do you do to fill that time i like i imagine just watching the clock tick down would be pretty nerve-wracking so what you just like play a quick play animal cross yeah you're just like doing a you watch a people be anxious i so i yeah, watch when the mars rover landed and <laughs> you know it's those like they they live stream everything today man it's from hot tub girls to to mars landings yeah and there was that you're waiting for the eight minutes to watch the first images from uh, what's the new rovers called uh yeah I'm yeah also going to go 54 behind. uh million kilometers by uh, the way. I said 50 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Far it's a uh, huh? 500 looks like i know what i'm talking about it is 540 yeah. kilometers for the hubble you said 500 which huh. is right on there and like no. 480 for iss or something like that yeah. um order of magnitude you yeah know? but i mean that's you're right on it with yeah. that um the uh um where were we at? I lost my track. You're talking about the newest rover and the name oh, of it. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. And so they live stream this thing, and you just sit there, and everybody is just sitting there on pins and needles. Everybody like, was oh. just literally just sitting there, like, kind of like waiting and looking at each other and just anxiously staring at whatever screen they had to see sign of information. Mm-hmm. Fuck, that's got to be super yeah, right. Yeah. I imagine, like, hovering high fives that are maybe getting closer and then you get the confirmation and you can finally like close the high five mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so think about it it's eight minutes uh for from 50 million kilometers for one million kilometer it will be like a fraction of that so a delay that it's it's not gonna be it's not nearly as nerve-wracking yeah it's just gonna be a few so seconds i'm gonna go back to the artemis project because yeah. really absolutely uh I, i'm i'm so in love with space mm-hmm. um sure. me too we've been to the moon before uh, well, no, we haven't. Well, well. <laughs> so a lot of people will say we haven't been to the moon. If mm-hmm. we've been to the moon, why haven't we been back yet? What's your answer to that? Oh, so that's a um, that's an interesting answer. You know, conspiracy theory theories people will say we lost the capability to go back to the moon. How is that? Why is that? And uh, the, the truth is, yes, we did lose the capability to go back to the moon. Like if someone was to say let's go back to the moon tomorrow because we need to because i don't know we have to rescue private Ryan on the moon <laughs> well i'm sorry private Ryan. we cannot go back to the moon right now um did we uh, and i wouldn't say we lost the ability we let go of the ability we let go of the ability uh so uh, part of it i think was after the end of the apollo uh, project everybody knows that the budget was cut dramatically but uh, part of it, I think, was also with that budget, what they decided to do, NASA, uh, the Russian program at that point, was really just to focus on lower Earth orbit as something more accessible. And then you look at things like the space, sh- what came after the, the, space pro- the, the Apollo program was the space shuttle. And the space shuttle was something amazing designed to really go into low Earth orbit. And, and uh, again, we go back to uh, the distances. Uh, people don't realize the difference in distance. People will say, oh, SpaceX does just did the Dragon. Now we, they can go back to the moon for a fraction of the cost. And I'm like, yeah, maybe they will, but now with the Dragon, because the Dragon is designed to go to the space station, 400 kilometers, 500, who cares? Yeah, they need Starship less. for that. Yeah, but the moon is 384,000 kilometers. Again, there is a, like a thousand times more. So yeah. it's, it's not just like, it's like saying, well, you can walk to the grocery store. Why can't you walk to New York to do your grocery <laughs> store, right? <laughs> the grocery shopping. It's, it's, it's just, just a just, little bit farther. It just doesn't work that yeah. way. 
and I think we let go of that capability and we never build it back up. And I also think um, some of the risks that we accepted when we designed the Apollo program, some of the daring's we accepted, there is a lot that we just... I don't want to say that the, the protocol for NASA was just, just send it, but there was a lot of just send <laughs> it going on. Uh, and I think nowadays <laughs> we just don't do it that way. Yeah, um, that's so probably a good thing. I think we had to go there to find out what we needed to learn. And then once we sure. learned what we need to learn, we realized the cost versus the risk wasn't worth it. And we can learn what we needed to with low Earth orbit. Being, sure. So, I, so I, I, I have a friend who argues with me all the time who's super fucking nerdy into space. He's... He's a huge space nerd, but he also doesn't think we've been to uh, the moon because we haven't been back. I'm like, because it's not worth it. We found out what we needed to know. It's made of cheese. And then we found out that like we need what? to be really more affordable stinky. because we can learn a lot in sp the space station. And that's been the goal was to use a space station to learn how to better access space. But we have been back. We have been back with rovers. China landed a rover on the moon. No, but we, we haven't we, been back. Yeah, but the point is, It'll like, again, USA. when you start working with the space program, like, some people call them astronauts. I call them opinionated payload. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's complicated. When you have to deal with humans in space, it gets exponentially more complicated. You have things like oxygen and things that we need to carry for them and food and all those things that are like why do i need that this guy's having because a heart cool. attack we need to call an ambulance like, like i yeah, mean for real you've got to have support systems yeah no uh, the, there are yeah. doctors on on duty at in the mission control nice. uh, yeah. there in case something happens that they need to be able to tell the astronauts what to do in case something like that happens it's complicated yeah but really i think yeah we just before we knew it, we let go of it, and before we knew it, it was just too hard to to do it again. I guess like we probably didn't even realize why we lost that couple of weeks. But, but we I did mean, it's lose so expensive. Right? It is. I mean, yeah, it comes down to that. Um, yeah, because it, again, every little like um, pound of weight you want to send into orbit has a cost, and that cost grows exponentially because every pound of weight means more weight in the launcher, which means bigger thruster, which means more weight, which it just grows and grows, right? Um, again, having those launchers like the Saturn V, the, the one that was used to go to the moon, that is like 110 meters tall, it's just so expensive. We, we haven't used launchers like that in a while. And now with Spaceship from SpaceX or at the SLS from NASA, it's the first launcher in, I don't know, 60 years, 70 years, whatever, that are building those capabilities back up. But those projects take so long and the Congress will slash funds or give you yeah. funds or then freeze a product. It just, it's complicated. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Politics like more than anything. Very, very complicated yeah. project. Because how many millions of dollars does it take for one astronaut to go to space? I think it's like 300 million, like I something. I can't ridiculous. believe that. I have no idea, honestly. Because yeah. I remember seeing those numbers and it was like, because we were using... Um, uh, Russian spacecrafts, yeah. it, it was even more expensive mm -hmm. to send one of our astronauts. Yeah, because they were charging you arm and a leg because they yeah. could. Like, you had no options. Yeah. So, like, we I'm don't have any options. Mm -hmm. now, now we do. Now we have SpaceX. Now, to drive yeah, in. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. For sure. Yeah. When you were talking about weight and stuff earlier, like uh, a pound mm -hmm. equals this much force and thrust and everything like that, if, if you were to sum it up in, in very simple terms, how lightly loaded are these people given... Uh, given the mission and everything, is it 
Is it just the bare minimum to get by or maybe a little bit of rations here and there? Or are you kind of bringing the kitchen sink and then just applying as much thrust and things no, as you need? No, I, I think every little item that gets brought to space gets manifested and it's a budget. Like yeah. they, The budget of what gets carried there is like really careful. Yeah. They're not as, you know, they're not as, how can I say, especially now with low Earth orbit, it's something that we've been doing for so long, we've been so good at it, that it's not as strapped, as tight, as, as uh, you know, limited as you might think. Mm. We brought to space some pretty stupid items just because <laughs> it was cool. Um, the, the, the rap, uh, not the replica, the actual lightsaber that Luke Skywalker had in uh, Star Wars nice. is now in the ISS, or no maybe they shit. took it down. But you it, wasn't me? <laughs> it was yeah, brought I to space at some point. <laughs> yeah. I know at some point they brought a coffee machine to space to make espresso in yeah. space. So we, we brought some items that are not strictly necessary anymore, at least in low Earth orbit. We have enough capabilities to just play just with kinda it. Just kind of brings um, stuff. I've seen pictures of the one of the uh, SpaceX mission. One of the dragons had a little baby Yoda plushie next yes. to a window, so that was super cute. Nice. Um, so in that case, I think it's not super, super, you know... Con- uh, regulated. Any, well, regulated, Weight restrictive. Yes, Weight but it's restricted. not That's restrictive a, anymore. A better, better but way to put I it. think when you want to put astronauts back uh, outside of low Earth orbit, so think going back to the moon, it will go back to just being the bare minimum. Bare minimum. Like, and make sure you pee before you get... Yeah, there, I was going to say like, that. Every yeah. pound you like, can like, save. Go poop. Go poop before you get on the spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and it matters more going to the moon because you also have to account for propellant to get back yeah yeah, yeah you know absolutely. you have to have that return propellant and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big deal yeah and people yeah. it's what's interesting though is starship have you seen uh starship have you seen mock-ups of starship i don't think so so dragon capsule is basically a little bit bigger than the apollo said and done it's not yeah. tons bigger i mean really said and done it's tons bigger yeah. but really it's not it's it's a it's a four-person capsule it's it's mm-hmm. not a lot more space a starship like 44 man not crew wow. it can have 44 people the yeah. a japanese fellow do you know his name um he's paid for the first starship he, he's paid for uh, a mm-hmm. a orbital trip a lunar orbital trip uh it's i think 2024 or 2023 ish when starship is supposed to go with a crew of like 12 to 14 starship is is way bigger and what's interesting is the cost is projected to go way down said and done like right now i i just had to look and i Sadly, have things like I have Artemis Project on my on my browser mm-hmm. just by default. I've been uh, reading too much lately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fifty five million a seat for NASA to send an astronaut on oh, a Dragon into space. Right? right? Yeah. It's about two hundred million a Wind trip down. for a Dragon capsule. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking at cutting those costs down exponentially for Starship. Um, but part of it is the reusability of the rockets, mm-hmm. right? Which Dragon currently has is that reusability. It's, uh, amazing, but. Like they're they're going so far as they're taking landing gear away. Have you seen what Elon's trying to do now with Mechzilla? No. Nah. Um, so you've seen them land these rockets, right, mm-hmm. Alex? Well, yeah. So no, I've seen them land. Uh, Stephen first shared this with me. The best part is no part is Elon's thought process. Mm-hmm. So you just take landing gear away. So now the rockets are they're, they're designing it to where the rockets land like they would land, but there's an arm that sticks out, and the rocket basically gets captured by this arm, so it doesn't have to land. As silly as that sounds, it's one less moving part. It's one less complication. It, re- it helps reusability of, of the rockets. So, I, yeah, it's affordable space flight is going to happen in my lifetime. Can I afford it? I don't think so because I'll be a really broke old man. But mm-hmm. man, 
Yeah, it's I, accessible. I, I'm gonna be mad if it becomes actually affordable, affordable when I'm too old to enjoy that. Yeah, I'm wouldn't gonna that be really? But Shatner went at ninety. Frustrating. Did, yeah, and they're gonna be better at it when we're ninety. Yeah, and, you, and hopefully you're in better shape at ninety two because right. technology ages, and medicine gets yeah, better. But still, how frustrating would that be? You're on your fucking deathbed, and life. like all these young people that you know from like family or friends or whatever are like, "Well, uh, fuck uh, it, I'm going to Saturn. You just missed it. Yeah, see, ya. I'm gonna send you a postcard from Jupiter. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck off. Uh, that's why I don't want kids. <laughs> You don't, if you I don't, don't go them. to space, no one no goes one to will. space. No one will. My bloodline remains on the yeah, ground on her. with me. <laughs> because, yeah. No, um, no, it's super cool. But, um, yeah, again, the, the reusability part, and again, I, I have friends that work for SpaceX, but this is just my theory. I have absolutely no inside knowledge of that, so I can share it. No one cares. The, the fact that you know these rockets can land vertically, and I've been thinking, why would they put so much effort in making this uh, rocket land vertically? Which is, if, if you think, either mathematically and from a control point of view, it's a freaking nightmare. Like you have this rocket, sure. and you have like the only way to control it is with like tiny like thrusters at the bottom, and at the bottom you have to use this thruster to balance it and have it land on its tail. And I'm like, there are so many, I get reusability, but there are so much more easier way to achieve this thing because, like, it just doesn't, you know, like, to do this. So on Earth, it doesn't necessarily make sense because then we can just transport and uh, stand it back up. Yes, uh, and I was going to say, my point is if you want to have a rocket that could land on the moon and then just take off right back, or even Mars, the only way you could do it, now the fact that you have these massive rockets that land on their tail, you can build up base on Mars and on the moon with the rockets already ready to come back whenever you need them to come back. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing there. Yeah. That's really cool. The that purpose wasn't... Th- the purpose to land them was reusability. The purpose yeah. to land them standing up yeah. was to launch from Mars or the moon. Yeah, so, so that's pretty cool. So in, in your mind, the U.S., uh, along with other countries, because I think there's a lot of cooperative efforts going oh, yeah. on, will be back on the moon in the next several years. Yeah. Okay. The goal of the Artemis project is to be back on the moon every year. That's published on mm-hmm. the Artemis yeah. website, right? Yeah. It's, you think that's happening? Uh, they're working on it. I think it's, uh, I don't know, again. It's um, hard to ask because you work there. but Yeah, uh, I, I'm not directly part of that work, but at the same time, uh, I, I, I really think that's a good idea. If we want to do something that pushes humanity a step forward, that's really what should happen because... Yeah, it's cool to go back to the moon, but going back to the moon for the sake of going back to the moon or even saying, oh, yeah, we, we landed a woman on the moon for the first time. Yeah, that's great, but... I want to see her boobs on the moon. Yeah. Less like, gravity, girl. Less girl. Mm. You know, I mean... <laughs> uh, space you were suits doing are the not perfect hand gesture for that at the time, too. You were already... Yeah. Space, <laughs> space suits are not that flattering anyway, so don't really care for that. Yeah. No, but all jokes aside, it's like, yeah, but what's the point? The next logical point mm. would be to have a base on the moon where you can go semi-regularly. Yeah. But why have a base on... So I have personal feelings, but you're not... You're, I say you're expert. You're a bigger nerd about space than I am. Mm-hmm. Um. Why then? Why do we even need to be on the moon? Uh, it's uh, because it's a testing ground to go to Mars. It's the only. Why do way. we need to be on Mars? It's uh, not survivable no, to our knowledge uh, because it's cool. Because, because that's it's cool. what mankind does. I mean, yep, continue exploring. Why did 
Cristoforo Colombo needed to sail toward the Indies. Well, in What's that case, his they name? Were who? Cristoforo Colombo. Cristoforo Colombo. How you have proper pronunciation of we call Christopher Columbus. Say <laughs> it proper. sounds so sexy you, when you yeah, say Christopher Columbus. Good when you say it, I, like I know. It. Yeah. If I if people said it more that way, maybe people wouldn't, wouldn't be so pissed at Cristoforo Colombo. Cristoforo Colombo. Is that it? Wait, you said spaghetti like, way spaghetti. better too. Spaghetti. Yeah. It's almost like I was born saying this word. I like wonder. A, lasagna. I just want to keep lasagna? repeating you now. Lasagna. Oh, see, we're not bad at that one. We do do okay lasagna. What? Uh, a little bit. Uh, Americans are really bad. It's the words like gnocchi. They say all gnocchi. Like, uh, oh yeah, gnocchi. gnocchi. They say but gnocchi. it looks like gnocchi or something. Yeah, <laughs> they do weird stuff. And then the ch word, like they will say chi. So like there are some, uh, like a brand that it's like uh, Chiapa, but they say Chapa and uh, Chiapa, and I'm like ah, so like the hard sounds yeah. that we have in Italian. We yeah. just yeah. butcher them. Mm-hmm. So go go to Mars. Uh, have you seen? I, I'm sure you've seen it. Elon's speech on Eight Years to Mars. Yeah. So Elon Musk, and he's he's way behind schedule. He's not going to be in the eight year ah, cycle, but it's still, okay. I believe, man will be on Mars again, or not mm-hmm. Mars again, but Mars in my lifetime. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Alex, there is a great. It's a horrible YouTube video. It's not the best quality. It's Elon giving a speech that's an hour and a half long. But it's a presentation of why we need to be on Mars, how we're going to be on Mars, and what we're going to do in the next eight years to be on Mars. In Mars in eight years. Yeah, um, I think I've seen bits and pieces, but I certainly have not watched the dude, it's entire su- thing. It's super interesting, especially if you're an Elon nerd and knowing that Solar City, Tesla, all these different mm-hmm. companies he have are very beneficial to extra uh excuse me um not extra um, um a multi-planetary uh, species mm-hmm. uh it's he sees it as a waypoint mars mm-hmm. means nothing to us outside of it's a waypoint it's our way to get to the next place the oh, next yeah. step i saw that the other day yeah it totally makes sense because we want to know what else is out there Right. So what's out there? Yeah. Are there aliens? Aliens. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I like that answer. What's your I personal feeling? I like it. Uh, so my personal opinion is one of those almost boilerplate answers. Yes, there probably are aliens. No, we yeah. haven't met them. The chances of meeting them are so low that probably we never will. But yeah, sure. Do you the think universe? you don't think we've had alien interaction on this planet? So, uh, why do we end up always talking about aliens on this TV I show? Know, I feel I it's not the first time we it. talk about aliens. Oh, fuck no, it's not, okay, man. About, no. yeah, I, I, I have a feeling, yeah. At least we're not we talking talk about, about wiping our butts anymore. No, yeah, that's, that's true. We talk about aliens but while all souping. the time. Uh, no. Um, so, aliens, as in, like, evolved formal life, like, you know, interact, as in talk to, like, the green man with the spaceship? No, we would not. I don't picture an alien as that classical. Well, yeah. But, like, a, a, an evolved life form? No, we would know. We would. Do we have alien the, technology on this planet? Spaceships, technology, scientific equipment? No, I don't think You know so. the story of Bob Lazar? No, which one is that? Bob Lazar uh, worked in uh, S area. I forget some area in Area 50, whatever. It was like A7 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And he worked with alien technology. And so most of the time I hear somebody who, who gives her like, yeah, I, I worked in Area 54 and a half. And yeah, this was my, yeah. like, you sound fucking crazy, dog. Mm-hmm. Like, you just sound stupid. No, Bob Lazar sounds very well put together, very well smart. Uh, a lot of what Bob Lazar is our story is jives including the erasing of some of the records uh at some point bob lazar said we have this alien technology for handprint identification 
uh, whoever he worked with the government denied, yelled, argued, and 20 years later, exactly what he described was released. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that Bob Lazar claimed to be true that were substantiated 20 to 30 mm-hmm. years later. So this guy has worked with extraterrestrial vehicles, mm-hmm. including gravity drives. Um, I don't... I'm, if you're right. if you're listening, I'm using finger quotes because right. how do I really know this? Mm-hmm. But man, he actually sounds like a like this dude doesn't sound like a crazy batshit right. idiot. So especially because when he talks, he's just like, yeah, I don't know, like if you want to believe me, whatever. But he he he's very humble about it. That I think that's why I believe him. He's well spoken, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I don't know. You've yeah. seen. The footage of pilots uh, in the oh, last yeah. couple of years released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, well, again, uh, the fact that there are UFOs doesn't mean that there are aliens. Right? Yeah, they I just mean, mean unidentified. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, the military has probably some technology, some flying items that are 10, 15 years away from anything we know. And mm-hmm. if a normal pilot sees those, are gonna think, "What the hell?" But not. But they're seeing they're seeing things change directions immediately. There's no way we have technology yes. yeah. 15 years away that's gonna go boom, boom, like a pinball bouncing around the sky. I know, it's so um, interesting. Man. I mean, if you were a knight 20, 30 years ago and you see one of those little drones and now we are flying around with lights and maybe following and chasing you around 20, 30 years ago and you weren't an expert, you would think that's some crazy sh- shit that is following you around. You yeah. know, I'm like, I don't know. It's it's hard. I, I don't, I'm very skeptical on those things for sure. Like, that's my, my default Mindset. I forget who it was, but he was on, on Joe Rogan a while ago, and they were talking about this similar situation where you have a device that is measuring a UFO, and it says the UFO was in this point and this point, and it mm-hmm. took this amount of time to get there. Instead of just taking that device uh, for, for what it's telling you and believing that this thing went from point A to point B in this amount of time, instead you should just look at your devices because they might be giving you a false reading. Right. And that could be for any amount of reason. They weren't set to read this certain thing or it's not meant for this certain situation. So maybe there are things out there and maybe they are moving a little bit, but it could just be that your devices are not uh, not built to read that sort of thing. Um, but that, that's about all the all the knowledge I have so on that topic. My, that's where my brain sits for aliens at this point in my life. I, I'm what Daniele kind of put down, and, and I agree, in an agreement. Like aliens aren't necessarily these figures that we've been drawn out to see in our life. For like sure. who even says they have to be humanoid at all? Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this. Sorry, you've li- listened to the show too long. You've heard me say this before. <laughs> but who says we can even see, smell, or right. feel, or touch whatever spectrum of yeah, being they, they could are be touching mm-hmm. us right now? I mean, I wouldn't even. Know it. You know, it, it's there. Exactly. There could be. We we don't understand what these beings are. We don't understand what form they take. There are colors my dog can see that I right. can't see. My dog's way smarter than me too. Yeah, um, ultraviolet light, like with with birds and bugs yeah. and yeah. stuff. So there could be yeah. intelligent, but man, yeah. if they're really, if we've had that much interaction with intelligent life, the cat would be out. Of we the can't bag. keep secrets for. Dick as human beings. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's too yeah. Big. I would want to tell everybody. And even it's too big. why would an alien yeah. actually be part of our schemes to keep it secret? He probably wouldn't care. It's like, sure. why if do I only need to talk with the quote unquote government? I'm just going to go on Times Square go, and do yeah, my gonna, thing. So. I'm going to go do alien stuff mm-hmm. and then get the fuck out of yeah, here. I just like, want to believe men in black. Why would I care about politics? 
Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I saw to me what was a UFO like two days mm -hmm. ago. I'm so happy we're on this topic. Oh my gosh. I was shooting I was shooting a, a tandem video and I was filming their opening on my back. Mm -hmm. And then I flipped over to my belly to pull and I thought I saw what I thought was a canopy. Uh -huh. So it was a little sketchy. It was like close enough for it to be alarming. Opened up, man. But it was Logan's wallet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, right. That would have been better. But uh, open up, Just look around, it. and start flying around that area where I saw the thing. And I saw under canopy what looked to be this balloon-like shape with what in my dumb brain in the moment thought was like a camera of some sorts on top of it. Uh, yeah. So with my camera on my head, I'm like taking pictures of it and like mm -hmm. trying to fly around it and get close. And then I land and I talked to the other videographers that were on the load. I was like, did you see the fucking thing? It was a UFO. It's aliens. I know it. And we're like in the landing area and they're like tandem students mm -hmm. and I'm going nuts. I'm like, it was out there. It's fucking out there. And then DQ was on the load as well. And he landed and he was like, Dude, it said happy birthday on it. <laughs> it, was, it, were, it were literally just fucking balloons, like kids' birthday balloons. <laughs> but to me, in that moment, that was a UFO and it was alien. It was a UFO. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly a UFO. Men, UFOs happen and like yeah. funky stuff goes down. I mean, yeah, right. I'm it was an unidentified object before you got to the landing exactly. area. Exactly. is the one who identified it, which <laughs> I was both excited and bummed at the same time. I'm like, okay, mystery solved, but like it wasn't what it I thought it was. Cooler. Yeah, an alien would have been cooler. Yeah, yeah, and my response was like, I was pumped. I was fucking jacked up. Right. I was like, I finally, I solved it. I saw the aliens. They're they're flying over Schlumberger as we speak. <laughs> right. I'm sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it's it might be an interesting operation uh, to check it's out. It's like in the alien. movies, the aliens always go and destroy New York. You're like, why? New York or the yeah. Golden Gate Bridge is like why do they care about those yeah, they go well, to like have a you guys major, seen Arrival I don't think I have I have to I heard stop it's pretending really you're Italian that one that Who one is that? really cool because Steve Vigliotti oh Vigliotti okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> tell him to stop stop he might know Italian. me as Frenchy he might be one of those people that know me as Frenchy that's right. Are we reading comments That's should exactly we right. is that, is that uh, no I, I, I am care. reading comments but I I just I yeah I, I'm not going to do that. Fair yeah, enough. but so Arrival is kind of totally different than those, um, whatchamacallit, you know, where they destroy the cities and stuff. Yeah. It's basically where this like pod, this little like seed thing just comes and like rests on Earth. And then there's like these like octopus people or aliens inside of it. And they're trying to communicate with this lady ah, on yeah, a yeah, screen yeah. with mm -hmm. like their hands you know, and so it's like their octopus crazy. hands. Yeah. Right. Did they look like octopus tentacles and with like the suction like, cups on them? Well, why I think it's similar because it ha they make these rings out of ink. And so mm -hmm. they like blast ink and make these ah. circles. And then that's how they like communicate. Interesting. Yeah. And it was just like totally such a random, there's, there's <laughs> some like time travel and like crazy other shit, but like it was just an interesting alien movie for it to not be like, yeah, they're they're dangerous, or yeah. you know, because they're yeah. just pretty so, chill. Yeah, in that movie, did they did the people on Earth go and get their own octopus, octopi, <laughs> and then squirt their own <laughs> yeah. ink signals? It's like, this is, is our octopus. You, yeah, exactly. Is Check that, out our it's octopus. like show and tell. Like both both <laughs> yes. species or whatever you call them are like showing their different forms of wildlife. And that would they, be amazing. Monkey. Yeah. <laughs> we have a monkey. monkey. <laughs> it's like oh, we both I have monkeys. Wish it was like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> dude, that would be so cool. Because Imagine, make that's a spoof the first of it. We should make a spoof. Dude, of that's it. a good idea. That, yeah, that would be, would be dude, a lot of fun. too bad the film, film festival, festival is yeah. in a, like five days or three days. <laughs> Not even. Saturday. It's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, two days, two days, two days. Well, no sleep, no sleep crew. Let's dude, do it. I was yeah, popcorn and beer day today for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's my dad's birthday on the twenty. Speaking of beer, does anybody have a tap? 
Thanks for sharing. Um, also. I do yeah. not, but I saw your post. Yeah. Because we're looking for one. So if you're I listening, I think, you have uh, a tap. I forget. Maybe up. Cody. I don't know his last name, but I think somebody. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of Cody's. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I saw Cody Shane. Yeah. yeah Cody Shane. Cody Shane. Yeah, one. That's a new one. Yeah. Uh, it's an old one. Old one. Okay. Yeah, new yeah. one to me, old one. In yeah. No, Cody, uh, him and his wife uh, were jumping at some point. He jumped a bit more than her. And uh, man, life gets busy, kids, jobs, et cetera. They don't jump as much anymore, actually, at all. And Cody uh, does show up here and there still when he can. Okay. uh, But just dedicated to life, family, and work. Uh, Super, super good dude. Um, Well, thank you to him for the the tap. I'm going to try to find something else, uh, partially because um, I don't. I can't clean a tap. I, if he, say, he says it needs to be clean, it's probably pretty easy. But I also don't want to put him out of his way. If it's somebody who's naturally going to be there and showing up, it might be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anybody got a tap, let me know because otherwise tomorrow I have to go rent a tap and um, I don't... Rather yeah. not. Yeah. I'd rather not. I, I've thought about buying one, but I didn't realize I somebody donated a, a slim keg. Uh, mm-hmm. A skinny keg without, uh, uh, w- with no soliciting, man. Thank you. Huge shout out. Huge thanks to uh, Daniel Roberts. Don't know if you know yeah. Dan. Yeah, yeah. Super nice dude. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. He's Fuck a yeah. brewmaster. Oh, no shit. Yeah. The dude fucking brews beer professionally for a living for a pretty big name Houston uh, brewery. I don't know if, mm-hmm. if, if I can say who or not, but. Uh, the dude so knows that must his, be fresh. Yeah, yeah. He, he <laughs> yeah. must be fresh and he knows his beer and chances are he was involved with it at some point. Yeah, he so we got it last a, weekend. Yeah, so sick. So I wasn't getting a keg. I was just going to buy a bunch of bottles of beer just to make my life easy. I don't have to deal with keg returns, right. et cetera. Um, so I bought less beer. I only bought uh, 120 bottles because we have a skinny keg. <laughs> Daniele turns around. Yeah, that's... They are all behind yeah, you. Yeah, that is five cases. Cases, a case of beer is how many bottles, ladies and gentlemen? 24? 24, yeah, motherfucker. 24. I was going to say A 30. six pack is 24. not a case. There are 30 racks, though, too. Yeah, that was more yeah. of a thing. An back 18 where pack is not a case. A 12, 24 no, is a case. This is America. We, we don't do round numbers. That's true. Like you got to make it weird. Metric. Have, uh, yeah, it's 24. <laughs> and we worked it out. That's what? Four beers a day for all of November? Right? Yes. We did the math earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 30 days of September. No, April, June, and that's November. What we're doing. That's, that's the challenge. Four I've beers a day. Nick is going to be pissed. <laughs> Nick's <laughs> fucked. Let's go, Nick. Oh, dude. That would be a challenge for him. Like the, That would be a legit challenge. That would be challenge. a legit challenge. For <laughs> Winter's coming. Maybe. Probably. Nick's diet is broken soon. Soon, yes. Yeah, I think Sam is back tonight. Um, which means... The Stuff Your Face Festival is coming soon. So we'll be talking about that uh, off the air. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, We only have a very few minutes left. Before the few minutes left, I want to actually breach one more topic and talk about one more thing. And and it's evolution of skydiving. And more importantly, evolution of what we do. And I'm going to, uh, you know where I'm going with your story right now, I'm betting. Sure. Daniele is at some point in his life been fairly active on Facebook in a good way. First of all, Facebook stops censoring people because I like to see which one of my friends are idiots or not. I don't have to agree with you or disagree with you to think you're an idiot. How you present yourself tells me you're an idiot. Um, a lot of friends I disagree with, but they do mm-hmm. it well. They say it, they say it well. Daniele, almost any skydiving conversation that was intelligent conversation and intellectual conversation, he would get involved with. The arguments he would watch and laugh at. Um, but I, I saw him get a lot of, involved in a lot of conversations. And one day, Melissa Nelson Lowe, mm-hmm. I forget her name now, um, Melissa's uh, Facebook group for national director, they had a conversation going about canopy stuff. And Daniele said something stupid like, hey, if USPA has any, like, needs anything for helping educate or train for canopy stuff, I'd like to help the best way I can. And I saw the comment, 
And what, within it was a minutes? Joke, yeah. It wasn't a joke. You really wanted to help. Yeah. In any way you could. You didn't think mm-hmm. you really had anything you were going to offer. Mm-hmm. That was the joke. Yeah. But you were serious about the offer. Yeah. And I saw within minutes the post. I'm like, yo, see me at the DZ, bro. I got you. Um, yeah, I got you. And Daniele has a passion for canopy flight. There's no doubt about it. And a passion for knowledge about canopy flight. So I asked him, would you like to be a coach? And his answer was yes. Mm-hmm. So now you are a basic canopy course coach. You Correct. run basic canopy courses. You've also dabbled in basic coaching, um, which basic courses is a bunch of basic coaching, but individually. And you're also now dabbling in some advanced coaching. How has that journey been? I t- like, so what was it like when I first approached you? Like when, when I first said, do you want to be a coach? Did you even think that was something you were going to do? No, never. It's been a ride. I think I even told you it's like uh, the question is, do I want you? Yes, but just you just need to, to <laughs> like let me think about it. I, I need to overthink about this before I give you an <laughs> yes, answer. It has. Um, no, it, it, it's been, yeah... Uh, I never thought I would do it because, as I said, I've always been the type of person that struggles to learn something, and I never felt particularly good at it. Um, so I was like, oh, "Wow!" It, it was, yeah. It, it's been an amazing ride. I, it's, it's just. I know it sounds again like one of those things. Oh, it's been so rewarding, but yeah, it's been so rewarding. Like, I was so proud uh, after I taught my first canopy class um, several months after, or at this point, like a year ago, maybe more than that. I don't remember. Um, I remember texting again my my FF instructor, and I texted Nick and Greg and Cornelia, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I that, did it. I, I did, I did. Everybody was so happy. <laughs> did for he just me. speak Italian? It's no, I just like made some. You had plenty of hand gestures. I just made some random noise. It felt like you were communicating when you were doing it. I texted all these people, and everybody was so happy to hear that. So no, it was something that again one of the turning point in my skydiving career. That was certainly big fucking major turning point so one of the things that you said to me back then and you just repeated now i want to punch you in the face for it not really but um because i wasn't good because i I didn't have that natural aptitude i didn't ever think of something i would coach you are typically a better coach when you struggled than somebody who's natural true why why is that true because you have to think every step analytically you just there is no such a way, as you said, that, oh, I'm just going to lay my hand down and do a lazy boy. No, there is no such a I would have to think like every single step of the way. And then if I think about it, I can probably explain what I was thinking. And that mm-hmm. is basically teaching. Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, no, it's, it's cool having that... that uh, that buildup of the skill set and then being able to apply it to the coaching setting like relatively easy like that. So I think it brings two advantages to a coach. And if you're thinking about one day I want to be an AFF instructor, one day I want to be a coach, one day I want to be something. Danielle wasn't necessarily the best person at Canopy Flight at first, but because he had to be so thoughtful about the things he did, it's made him an expert at that knowledge and your ability to convey knowledge because you're so well thought out is big. But I think this is a huge thing, and and I'll convey my own story for this, is as an AFF instructor, uh, I failed my first AFF course. I went up on an AFF evaluation skydive. I am an examiner now who have run a shitload of courses and put a shitload of people through training. And today, I've still seen the video of that course, and I fucking crushed the jump. It's still to this day one of the best like time like I, I can go analytically down and say by the book this skydive scores fucking shit this is as hot as I can get it was my best evaluation skydive ever I didn't pull the student at the end of the skydive 
the student is an evaluator. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I got so pumped. I just just left without his handle. I let go. I break my grip. Mm-hmm. I'm within a foot of him, but that broken grip signified the end of the skydive, and I wasn't allowed to redock. I, I could redock, but I, I was a hundred foot off. I'm like, oh, and just turned and tracked. I went up the very next load, super frustrated, super emotional, super in my head. And because I was in my head, I failed. Mm-hmm. Know when you're overthinking. Know when you're ahead. Know when you need to back off and say, hey, maybe I need to take a break. But at the same time, don't be a fucking pussy. Get right. up and try it, right? But the reason I bring that conversation up is uh, it was the end of a season. The It was winter. It was like one of the last months. The very beginning of the next season, I'd go do the jumps. i knock it out. It's super easy. Man, as an AFF examiner, I've talked to candidates who've been in a course. I've seen candidates who fell a jump for something stupid. And I've been able to walk up to that can and like, look, man, I understand where you're at. And I, I've regularly gotten the look in my in their eyes of like, you don't get it. Like they get that they give me this look and this incredulous look. And I think part of it is, is because of my stature. I'm an examiner. I've been doing this a long time. Um, they think that maybe I, I just got all this. I'm like, no. I failed my first course. Mm-hmm. I've actually had candidates fail the course, and I've been able to sit down and talk with them and say, I failed the first course. So sympathy is one thing. Empathy is another, right? right. And the fact sure. that I can yeah. absolutely 100% associate to that student, to that candidate, and, ha- and, th- and they understand that I truly understand, and they now have partnered with. And those people look up to me, and they're like, bro. And I've actually heard, you, you failed your course. You failed. You had to take the course. What? Like really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm so that failure was so huge for me for so many reasons. But a big part was the ability to give back. And so back to you, Danielle, as the coach, and anybody who has not been naturally the best. And don't get me wrong, Danielle actually wasn't horrible as a young jumper. He was just an overthought young jumper. <laughs> he raises his eyes and he's like, oh, I was horrible. Oh, I mean, was never. Yeah, n- never horrible, but never yeah. like just natural you thought you were worse than you really were because you overthought how bad you were and just overthinking that alone made you work anyways if you're in that boat it doesn't mean you can't be a coach it doesn't mean you can't be an instructor because now when danielle works with that special needs tand or a canopy pilot or that special needs swooper he can that he can associate to them he has that true empathy they see that connection and it's so cool to be able to look to your mentor. And when you're coaching, it's funny. They look to you as mentors. Yeah, it's scary, but uh, yeah. right it's now, rewarding to him. Your personal project, and, and sorry for spilling the beans for anybody who doesn't know this, and nobody will ever repeat it anyways, but Brittany is a personal project he's bringing on. I don't know if you know the gal with a really dope infinity rig. Yeah. Wears yeah. Where way too much makeup sometimes. Love you, Brittany. Great girl. I pick on her nonstop. She's swear. Uh, man, she looks up to you. You're a mentor to her. And then when she knows you get that struggle and gets to see, like, Dude, the dude I look up to, the dude I want to be like, the people I want to be, they failed, they struggled. I mean, no yeah. matter what your struggle is, I, I've had it. I've had it worse, probably. I just no. overcame it at one point or another, for sure. I think that's really cool. I think that's a good thing to have as a coach, too, because it, it's, it's you sort of proving that you're a human. You know, like maybe you are someone to, to be looked up to and someone to be listened to, especially when you're giving out important information like that. But I just know that when I'm getting coaching from someone and they're like, hey, man, I fucked that up the first 10 times I tried it, too. It makes me feel a lot better thinking of them in that situation yeah. because it's so easy as a student to to picture your coach 
just knowing how to do this stuff since the beginning of their career. But when you picture them learning, it makes it a lot easier as the student to be like, man, everybody goes through this and you can get to that level if you keep going. Everybody struggles. Just some people are better at hiding it. Maybe like, for example, I was at a competition one day and I was talking with Kurt, Kurt Bartholomew. Again, Mm -hmm. like swoop great as swooper, you know, like him and Nick always competing. Great. And we were talking about it, and I remember seeing him frustrated about something. I'm like, hey, Kurt, what's up? And he's like, well, you know, I want to get into too, too, too many details, but I'm learning this new turn, and I've been trying to use this in competition for the last six months. And, man, I suck with it, and I keep getting low scores, but I need to learn it. And I think it's because I'm doing this wrong, and this part is wrong. I cannot figure it out. And he was talking to me, like, Kurt, you know what's great? He's like, what? Seeing someone like you that we look up to as one of the best supers in the world, undeniably learning something new, a new turn that he wants to use in competition, fucking struggling with yeah. it. Is this refreshing? <laughs> I'm sorry for, like, I know you're a bit down right now and you don't yeah. want to listen to this, but it's, from my point of view, very refreshing. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. for sucking, Nick. <laughs> Holy shit, Kurt, you, you are a human Kurt, being. Yeah. You still make mistakes. Yeah, and the oh. fact that he can be at the, at the top and he's still working on stuff mm-hmm. which just proves that you should never stop working on things in this sport. Like you could be up at the absolute top of your game, but the sport is going to continue growing and everyone around you is going to continue growing. So it's yeah. so cool to see people at that level who are still trying new things and mm-hmm. still fucking it up and still going through that progression. Like for yeah. me personally, that's my favorite part of the for part about the sport is like there's always something else to to yeah. continue progressing with. So yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And again, um, if you asked me, if you asked me this question, would you ever thought about becoming a cano- canopy coach three or four years ago for five? Whenever I started mm-hmm. swooping, I'm like, no, man, I, I am not. No, there is no way. But now I am, and that's the great thing about skydiving. If you ask me what keeps me bringing back, it's this thing. Like three or four years ago, we never thought this was possible, but now it is. So who knows in three or yeah. four years what I will be doing, you know? Yeah, I'm absolutely. thinking, oh, it's impossible that in three, four years I will podium at nationals. And if I have to say right now it is impossible, I don't think I can. But who knows? I mean, three or four years ago, I would have never thought I was going to coach. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop you from trying, and then you can always end up uh, having the same moment you're having now. Like, holy yeah, shit, man, I got here. I did it. Worst case, I'm not any worse than now. So. <laughs> man, I want to wrap up with, yeah. uh, it's going to be a barrage of questions because I think the questions are going to naturally overlap. So I'll just kind of throw them all out at once. Go shoot me. As, shoot you? Yeah, no, shoot, shoot, shoot that. Uh, like, Rapid man, fire, I'm, baby. I'm not carrying right now, dude. I got <laughs> my, hold on, finger guns. <laughs> Um, what have you as a new canopy coach what has been the most rewarding experience for you or experiences whether whatever it is what have you learned the most in general what have you learned the most about yourself wow so for sure the most rewarding experience is seeing a student and there is one or two in every class that comes the first jump or whatever, they're super nervous. They're probably not particularly good just because they're super nervous and whatnot. And seeing them through the day, the last jump when they just crash it and they have that perfect landing. And when I debrief them, I'm like, I have nothing to say to you anymore. I was, can you see how good that was? And I had one that was literally like, you're going to make me cry. I'm like, no, don't cry, please. I cannot <laughs> handle that. But that's very rewarding. Just seeing the prog- how fast a person can progress 
throughout the day, not just skill set, but also like mentally being able to just like do what you tell them to do. Yeah. And then you tell to yourself, wow, that was the right thing to do. I'm happy I didn't tell them the wrong thing. But um, <laughs> yeah. seeing just how well it works, that's for sure just blows my mind still. What have you taken away the most or learned the most for yourself? Um, probably what I learned the most is just trust the process, really. Like, you know, I, I, we go back to when I started swooping, I thought I could self-teach myself how to swoop because I'm an aerospace engineer. I understand the physics of it very well. And I do. I do understand it. I thought I would just be able to translate that to, to the practical aspect of it real quickly. And no, I couldn't. I was bad. Like, I was risking, you know, I was the person that people would turn the other way whenever I was landing or swooping until I met Greg with Miller. Um, with which is a whole different... But basically, trust. now that I have this understanding and now that I have a good understanding of the practical aspect of it, just trust your overthinking if he says, oh, you flared too soon or you went to rears too early or you should have just paused on the backhand longer. Just trust yourself that what you feel is right and on the next jump, try to do it and see that it's probably going to make it better. So just the debriefing, trust your own debriefing because now that I can debrief other people and I see that it works for the most part, I can do that to myself too. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm more confident in that respect, for nice. sure. Yeah, it's nice that you can kind of uh, you know, keep track of your own mental process and, and sort of debrief yourself like what you're saying and, yeah. and hopefully progress that way. Because every time a person lands, there's a certain like checklist yeah. of things I go through is like, this and this and that and they do this and that. it's a checklist right and mm. so i can help them debrief and break down their landing and now i can to a degree do the same to my own landing i always did that because i'm an overthinker but now i actually trust it more because i've applied it more and i've seen it work yeah so. for sure and you get to see it work in other people also like having that change in perspective wow. of like does this that answer your question it does it, it's it's neat and it's interesting to hear because I've been along the ride the entire time, oh, yeah, including have, yeah. through the doubt phase of your, like you knew you could do this, but you didn't think you were ready, including when it was time for you to go, you had these doubts, um, but you accepted and trusted the, the process and you went for it. Mm -hmm. And you actually sent me this link, but I, I do want to read this link. Um, it's from Anton Mika. Mm -hmm. um, I went after the basic campy course in order to fulfill my requirements for a B license certificate. Yep. Um, anybody who's going to the campy course to get your B license, it is part of it, and I commend you. Um, and I think part of this person's statement there is that was his intent to go, but he in the, in said and done takes a lot away. This is a really long post. I'm not going to read it all. But, man, go for the knowledge and go for the learning. He says, I had Daniele as my coach, and I was impressed by the knowledge he carried into the class. He would teach in a concise manner and would answer my question, any questions we had. It was a class of four. Um, he talks about the experience, hop and pop, debrief. Daniele made sure to provide us with feedback, which really helped my knowledge as a jumper. I saw improvements immediately from my flair. Only a few months ago, you're like, I don't know if I can do this, bro. Sounds like me. Yeah. That sounds like it me. It does. Now, the other thing I, and so he really plays a lot of compliments to you, but also I really enjoyed reading this because I like Antone's mindset. And I think this, so the first part of reading this is like, dude, you're better than you realized. And you realize that now. And you're still better than you realize. And I love that you don't realize it. Keep doing that. You're doing oh. great at it. Uh, I love his next statement. The class in the end is what you take away from it. 
guys and gals, if you're in a camp, an XRW camp, we have one coming up soon. If you're in an angle camp, yeah. if you're doing mentor jumps, if you're doing your AFF jumps, the more you put into it, the more you take away from it, as long as you don't overwhelm yourself. Make the most of every skydive and you'll take the most away from every skydive. Um, we, we mentioned a little bit ago Tom Noonan's name. Uh, Tom mm -hmm. Noonan was the director of tandem operations for UPT. We've had him on the show a couple times. Everest skydive. He skydived on all seven continents. The, the dude is a badass. He, he passed away in a skydiving accident last weekend. Um, excuse me. He passed away from medical conditions on the way to altitude for a 41,000 foot jump. Um, there are a lot of uh, disagreeing things going on about that. I'm very curious. Don't care right now at the I, moment. I actually, uh, I, won't, I won't divulge it, but I do care. And I'll say yeah. why I care for a second just to sidetrack my brain. But Tom Noonan was a champion of information. Yeah. Tom Noonan wanted to make sure we shared information so we could learn better from it. Whether it was for good or whether it was for bad, we need yeah. to make the most of it. And I know anytime I see somebody die, I see my friends pass away, I want to know, uh, partially to satisfy my own just curiosity, to put my bed to my, my brain to rest, and partially to uh, um, learn from it. And I tell all my friends all the time, if I die in a car accident, in my sleep, uh, autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> if I die skydiving, um, share what happened, whether I fucked up or not, share what happened. And I know Tom would want that, and I do hope whatever these consenting or, or dissenting conversations, and there's all sorts of shit going on there, what really happened, I think Tom would want the world to know. So if you're involved with that, please share, because that's what Tom would want. Yeah, yeah for sure. No, I, when I said I don't care, like, it sounded like I don't care about what happened. I don't care about the speculation until yeah. I know what happened, you know, yeah. until it's just... So um, Tom would talk about making the most of every skydive, putting the yeah. most into it, taking those opportunities to learn the most you can. Man, I love how Antone says it. The class in the end is what you take away from it. We have a lot of new jumpers, and absolutely, we want to have fun skydiving. Yes, being disciplined. Yes, putting in your dirt dive. Yes, putting in these repetitions to take some focus. And sometimes in your mind might detract from the fun, but said and done, what you get out of the skydive will allow you to have more fun in the end. I don't give a fuck about safety, except for I don't want to get hurt, and I don't want my friends to get hurt. And the safer we are, the better we can get, and the better we can get, the more fun we can have. Ultimately, safety is there to keep us alive. But realistically, safety is there so you can become fucking better. Do it again, yeah. Yeah, these thought processes are there to accelerate your learning curve. So mad shout out to, does he go by Antone? Yeah. Okay. Uh, just that thought process. If you devote your best, show willingness to learn, and apply your given feedback, you will see improvement. He's talking about the course in this case, but that is life in general. I was thrilled with the class and to have Daniele as my coach that day. I want to thank the Rating Center for their professionalism, and I always say Daniele, that he said the Rating Center, and the opportunity to learn and earn. Um, dude, good job, brother. Yeah, that was. I'm very protective of the brand I've grown. I mm -hmm. worked very hard to build a good uh, reputation, and I've worked very hard to associate myself to the right people, and I'm very proud to call you my brother and very proud to call you a rating center coach. So thank you, man. That's Much love, homie. Yeah. Much love. Anything yeah. else you guys want to talk shit about this fucking little short Mario-looking motherfucker who breaks spaghetti? No, I don't. <laughs> that, oh, I'm not going to stand up for breaking, that. Breaking spaghetti. <laughs> Break never, out of spaghetti. Never, never, unless it's like? a sick children. Mom's spaghetti. Better be spaghetti. very sick. Knees weak. Knees yeah, weak. Broken spaghetti. Make a soup with spaghetti. You can break them because they're in a soup. How do you feel cares? about pho? Like pho noodles. Can those be broken? 
Uh, you should ask him. <laughs> uh, you're fucking racist. <laughs> yeah, fucking racist. <laughs> like you're French. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, same yeah. type of joke. Um, man, we uh, are going to turn to a pumpkin. So we're going to yep. close the show, and we made it the entire show without saying those words. Funky white girl. Wait, the pumpkin or the what? No, no, no. Play that white girl <laughs> the, music. The three letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Guys and gals, grab lab radio. Play that music. Let's get out of here. Two weeks from now, we're back to a normal schedule. Two weeks from now, we're back to a normal schedule. We will have Richo Butson. Richo oh, Butz is nice. coming yeah, in nice. for our XRW camp here at Spaceland Houston. And uh, two weeks after that, I don't quite know who we have, but we have a bevy of guests listed. We have a young lady named Jenna from Skydive Spaceland. Yep. Has a phenomenal story to share. I'm hoping to get you, Adrian Glave. I've sent you a little message. Uh, um, 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 who were we supposed to have this week? Uh, love uh, him. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Craig. Kevin Craig. Huge Kevin fan Craig. of the show. Super good dude. And we have a lot of other people in the queue lined up. Till then, Elsa, anything else, white girl? Now this white girl's out. See ya! Come to the film festival. Hey, yeah. film festival! It's always fun. I love it. You'll break the spaghetti. No, you don't. I'm going to look good.